Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, as much as I hate to say it, this is going to be the last episode of the year. We're shutting it down. We want to go out on top. We don't want to fade away. We'd rather do a hard close and then open it back up with a lot of momentum before next season. So this is going to be the final episode of the 2018-2019 bow season. I know there's a little bit of time left. You got a couple of people that are hunting until February 15th that still have a lot of time left to put a big deer or their target buck down on the ground. And a few of those people are going to be on the podcast today. Before we get on to this week's episode, I want to thank everybody that's been listening for the last 25 plus weeks. I remember it feels like just a couple of weeks ago we were putting out episode one and two, trying to line up people and convince them to come talk to us on something that didn't exist yet. And y'all have no idea how close this came to not happening. I remember vividly, it was a Tuesday in May. I called up some friends of mine who they listen to a lot of podcasts. And I said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Do you think we should do it? And ultimately, they said yes. And two days later, we were recording our first podcast. And we haven't missed a week since. So it's been a great run. It's been a great journey for us. I want to say thank you to everybody that's been on an episode with us. Really appreciate all the fantastic information that everybody shared. It's really been truly incredible how much we can learn from other average Joe people. 
And when I say average Joe people, I'm talking the guys you park next to at a WMA. I'm talking the guy that you pass on the interstate at four in the morning with the trailer hooked up with a four wheeler. I'm talking these are regular old people just like you and me. And I've learned a ton. Y'all have learned a ton, I hope. And that's what this whole journey has been about. Before we get on to this week's episode, I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. Y'all have been hearing me talk about them all year long. Thank y'all so much for being on board with us from the beginning, even before this was ever a recording and when it was just a concept. We also have a special sponsor for this week, Ray Oil Tool out of Broussard, Louisiana, who specializes in centralizers and float equipment for the oil field industry. They've been around since 1981. And a big thank you to Jake for reaching out to us and listening to the podcast and wanting to help sponsor us for this last episode. So if you're in downhole in the oil field, you'll definitely be sure to check out Ray Oil Tool if you don't know about them already. The last thing I'll tell you before we get started is that we have the second annual Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge coming up on March 9th. It's in Pollock, Louisiana, which is just north of Pineville. It's right in the center of the state. It's going to be a huge event for us this year. Last year, we had 300 people and 150 shooters. This year, we're expecting more than double that. And we've got two ranges, an open range for the open class guys and women. We have a women's class this year and also the Bowhunter class as well. We're giving away over $3,500 in prizes. I think it's actually $3,775 in cash that people are going to be walking away with that day. So it's going to be six classes, um, Bowhunter Elite, which is money, Bowhunter, which is for fun, and then traditional, that's going to be on the Bowhunter range. The Bowhunter range is going to be hunting-style situations, ground blinds, tree stands, shooting faux elevation, meaning manipulated landscape for simulated elevation. So you're shooting down a hill that's representing a 20-yard, 20-foot-up-in-the-tree shot, if you will. And then we've also got Open Elite, which is a money class, Open, which is a fun class with trophies, and then also a women's class, with a, which is a money class as well. A lot of great events, long shot contest, iron butt contest, um, concessions on site, more stuff than we can list. Children's range, this is a kid-friendly event, going to be a great time. Y'all, please make it out. Starts at 7 a.m. on March 9th. You can register up till 11 a.m., so if you got a long drive in, no worries. So y'all be sure to make it out for this year's Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge. Now, on to this week's episode, we did something kind of unique. I was trying to think of a good way to close out the season, and what better way to do that than to check in with a couple of bow hunters from all over the state. Some of them are still hunting, some of them have shut it down already, but we're going to be getting a recap of six people's seasons. So, great episode coming up, y'all stay tuned. Alright guys, we've got Locke Wheeler on the phone, he's been on a ton of episodes this season. Locke, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah man, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We wanted to uh, kind of have a recap with you, how your season went, and see if anything uh, anything exciting went on. Kind of get your thoughts on the rut and some other some other things you might change for next year. So tell us about your uh, your season now that it's behind us. Yeah, um, I guess it is a kind of official here with February the first. So uh, uh, except for Area Six, which I'll get into in this. Um, yep. So, you know, I live up in the Felicianas, in East Feliciana, in the Clinton area, and I have, as far as Louisiana goes, I have property in Area 4 here outside of Clinton, and I also have property in Area 6 over uh, between the Port Hudson and St. Francisville area. And, um, you know, I also hunt uh, 
I'm from Mississippi originally, so I have family property there, and and I go out of state. And you know, you know, for me, I had a good season, uh, productively, and you know, in terms of success, I killed a really nice buck out of state. I killed a really nice buck here in Louisiana, but from a big picture, um, it was kind of uh, highs and lows. I mean, I, it's hard for me to say that. Uh, it was a low year because I killed a really nice eight point here in, in area four and not just killed a nice eight point, but did it on a, you know, a really good hunt, the kind of hunt that we all hope to have on, you know, pretty morning, uh, you know, saw a lot of deer actually grunted the deer, called the deer to me and, and, and got to experience all that, that, you know, some of the more exciting things that we get to experience as hunters. So, um, but you know, overall, like I said, I'd have property, in area six and everybody knows what that uh river has done this year and i didn't get to hunt that property uh really at all because it stayed flooded so uh that was kind of down um it put me hunting out of state more than i probably would have otherwise because uh, i was short on property but um in terms of louisiana i um i've always heard i moved out here in 2013 and um i acquired the property here by my house uh, three years ago and I've been told, you know, since that time that these deer in this area, for whatever reason, will rut around Thanksgiving, which, you know, I think most people would say is a little earlier. You know, I guess we're used to yeah, more Christmas, you know, uh, or at least into December. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I had a couple of setups that were ready to hunt, but I hadn't been into them. I didn't hunt them early season and they didn't have any pressure on them. And uh, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, I had uh, a real favorable forecast, and I hadn't been hunting since early in November when I went up in the Midwest, and uh, I just had the opportunity to go make a hunt before work one morning, and I really just went kind of on a feeling of, you know, I keep hearing about this Thanksgiving time rut, and um, didn't have a lot of intel, but I knew the weather was right, and I had the right conditions for one of these setups that I knew was should be good you know uh yeah and i uh, went in there and had uh, a great morning had uh six does and a, a spike or a little small yearling you know come through and they they you know they kind of had some of those telltale signs that you know something was around a couple of those were acting a little funny and i um i ended up seeing a coyote and i tried to bleed at him with a doe bleat to get him close it's all i really had on me you know, to try to get his attention and get him to slow down. He, he was running all around me, smelling, you know, and doing their thing. And so I started bleeding at him, trying to, you know, just get him close enough and steal enough to shoot him. And uh, he he left. And a few minutes later, I heard a deer grunt behind me. And I turned and looked, and this deer was coming. And, of course, you know, I film everything, and you know that. And uh, my camera was fogged up. And I let the deer get by me, trying to film him trying to get the you know the lens uh defogged and uh he got by me and he got out in front of me in some kind of thicker underbrush and I bleated and grunted at him and you know just like they uh, just like they write it up just like they draw it up like you want it to happen he yeah. turned and came right to me you know 15 yard shot he stopped right in front of me and was hooking a you know licking branch and doing his thing and man he was ready you know I mean and that was the Wednesday after Thanksgiving and that's like I said area four right here in the Bluff Creek area outside of Clinton, and he was, you know, Black Hawks. Really? Uh, doing it, you know. Wow. Full, full blown rut. That is pretty early. Seems pretty early for that area. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, I hadn't been on the property much, but, you know, with that morning and everything that went on, um, I spent some time in the woods getting the deer out of the woods and all that, and there, the sign was there to prove it, you know. I mean, like I said, I hadn't really been in there scouting. I had been staying out of there and keeping it quiet. But, uh, you know, like I said, spending that day in the woods, uh, it was pretty apparent that I had picked the right day because there were, you know, there were fresh scrapes and and uh, signs that they were after it. And uh, I didn't really hunt much more in there after that, but uh, definitely, you know, I can attest to that, uh, the theory that they're going to rut that time frame in this area of Louisiana, I can, I can, uh, I can stake a claim to that. That's interesting, man. So, so how many, how many deer did you end up, uh, with all season? Uh, just two. I killed, uh, one in Nebraska and, um, and the one in Louisiana. And I, uh, I mentioned I have family property in Mississippi and, you know, funny thing on that, I, uh, my dad and I, been keeping tabs on like four or five really nice mature bucks and my dad killed one of them and one of the other ones this past sunday was going to be my last day to hunt you know coming back to work this week and the the buck that i hunted the entire month of january i had him at 15 yards on sunday evening but it was too dark for me to shoot him i, I saw him before i lost shooting light and he was with a doe and uh but he was out of range by the time he got in range you know i was basically you know, silhouetting him, looking at him yeah. with binoculars. I mean, he was right up underneath me, but kind of a bittersweet way to close out the season, you know. I mean, I hunted that deer hard and never never saw him Saw him one time at like 75 yards. And uh, on my last hunt, you know, I finally, you know, had it work the way I needed it to and just not enough shooting light. So yeah. he, lives to, he lives to play the game another year. Now, didn't your dad kill a nice deer last week? Yeah, he did. Uh, well, kind of middle of January. Yeah, uh, a week or two and that ago. was yeah. one of those deer. Yeah, uh, he killed a really nice buck. Uh, we scored him in the high one forties. He was really, you know, this is a cool story with that deer because this is a piece of property my dad's worked really hard his whole life to buy this place and then have a place to you know retire on and all that. And uh, we've worked it for the last four years, and we've been taking this, a picture of this deer for for three years now and and hunting him. And last year. My dad got the flu, and during the two weeks he was out with the flu, we took a ton of pictures of him in the daylight, and it, it, it kind of felt like he missed his window of opportunity, you know. Yeah. And then this year he was able to, to get him on our property. So, that was, you know, it's just really cool. That's awesome, really man. Cool. Something else that I wanted to ask you was, you know, did you did you learn anything or experience anything that you either will – put to use next year or maybe stop doing next year any any good lessons learned or maybe hard lessons learned that, that you can think of off the top of your head well um maybe not really in as it pertains directly to any individual hunt but i would say that for me some of the things that i experienced you know just talking about the state of louisiana you know, louisiana bow hunting um several things were reaffirmed for the areas that i hunt in and uh one of those that we just talked about with, with the Thanksgiving rut, which, you know, people attribute that to the influx of out-of-state deer in this area years ago and how they've, you know, how those genes have uh, moved through the herd. But yeah. that, you know, I can kind of reaffirm all that that I've always heard. I experienced it and had success off of it. And then the other thing is, you know, with the property in, in Area 6, um, I didn't hunt much, but I did run cameras, and um, I scouted the, the, the property – 
you know, as much of it as I could. And my, my friend that hunts with me, they, they went down there. You know, a lot of the things you hear about how the deer react to the water and, and how close they stay to the flood water. And, you know, we saw a lot of that. You know, the deer, it's amazing how little bit of land they can exist on. Oh, yeah. And, and stay on. And, and still, they're still hard to hunt. You know, I mean, you... I mean, yeah, your odds increase when you when you shrink the deer's area of travel. But you know, we you know we still took pictures of some big deer and hunted them on some good days and and couldn't you know couldn't couldn't get one to make a mistake. And you know, when, when conceivably he's got a very small area to walk on, and the rut stayed pretty true down there. The rut down there is always in January. It was last year when we didn't have floodwaters. And this year, after New Year's, and really all the way up until now, um, lots of sign of the rut, uh, the daylight pictures of the mature deer came middle of the month. And uh, so, you know, like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time observing from the stand, but the scouting and the camera, trail camera inventory and all that kind of stuff just reaffirmed um, what you should expect if you're hunting in that, ri- that river bottom type property where the, where the flood water affects your, your property. Yeah. Well, you said, you said it's, it's amazing how little land they need to kind of thrive and survive on and whatnot. Well, the hardest part about that is when they're not traveling a lot during the day and walking from, you know, four or 500 acres in one direction, sometimes, you know, just, just beeline into somewhere else and they're staying in their little core area. It's really hard to get in there without. Yeah. That that was our biggest problem. And that was, you know, that was what I was about to say before you made that point was, you know, I think our lack of success had to do with the way our particular piece of property is laid out with the water up like that. We have to be pretty intrusive to hunt, you know, and, you know, maybe just simply the only place we have to pull in and park and get in there to hunt is kind of blocking this limited travel out, uh, you know, area and the the maturity or that they know you're there, you know, they're not stupid, they're not making mature for no reason. You know, there's no way to, come in around them or to play the wind and kind of have alternate entries and strategically plan for how you're scouting these deer to be moving. I mean, they, they've only got one or two routes, but unfortunately due to the water, you've only got, you know, maybe one or two routes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. And that's, you know, ain't really much you can do. I guess my opinion of that is you just kind of got to hunt and hope that you you're there on that day when the dough is hot and he just kind of throws more caution to the wind than he normally would. And, and let you get away with with something that uh, is probably not something you're going to get away with very often. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard uh, hunting those tight places like that. You feel like you're you feel like you're just exposed the whole time walking in. Like like you got eyes on you, and they're not going to get up and move. That's the hardest no. part. Yeah, you know, let me tell you something. You asked one thing I just thought of, and I'm not. This is not meant to be. I don't work for any of these companies, and I am not trying to sell a product. But I'll say, if you watch the video of my Nebraska hunt, I have always preached Grim Reaper broadheads. And, and you know that. You and I, as friends and colleagues with mm-hmm. Louisiana Bowhunter, we've talked about gear. I, You know, the shot that I made on that deer in Nebraska, and everybody knows those deer up there are bigger. You know, they're bigger, tougher animals. They have yeah. larger bone structure and all that stuff, you know. Um the shot placement was great in terms of point of impact. However, in the moment with the video camera running and all this kind of stuff, I, I thought the deer was more broadside uh, than he was. And I also didn't pay enough attention to the angle of his 
front leg as he stepped. Mm-hmm. And I let that shoulder blade get back. So while I had the perfect shot placement for, for the angle, his shoulder blade was back, and I had to go through it. And it actually went in and hit something. I'm, I'm, my assumption is the shoulder blade turned it. And it didn't go through him. It went in him and turned and came out the front of his, like in his chest, the front of his shoulder. Hmm. And, I mean, look, I'm, I can only preach how effective that arrow and that broadhead and that setup and just I'm pretty meticulous about my gear and I'm and I'm confident in it. And and I I won't hesitate to tell you that I've shot other arrows and other broadheads in the past and I'm not sure I would have retrieved that deer. Mm-hmm. Because that arrow, that's an element arrow, which is a fairly new brand, but they make a tough carbon weave arrow. That arrow and that broadhead did its job in its limited opportunity to get into the vital area of the deer, and it put him down within. I mean, he lived a little while. We had to let him expire, but he didn't go very far, and he bled a lot, and it really wasn't a great situation in terms of, you know, the the path of the arrow as it, as it entered and exited the deer. So uh, that's another thing that, you know, did I learn? I'm just more reaffirmed that I'm shooting the right stuff. And, yeah. And that's because, look, I again, I, I mean, I take – I'll take some blame for it. You know, I mean, yeah, I've got to pay better attention to that. If I let that deer take another step, um, that's an easy double long pass through. He's more broadside because of the angle he was walking and the shoulders out of the way. And I've got to do a better job of that. But at the same time, you know, I did make a good shot. You know, I 10 ringed him in terms of where I needed the point of impact to be. And those situations happen. And if, if, if you're not confident in every scenario that could happen when you're swinging an arrow downrange at an animal, uh, you're not doing your job. And I feel like, you know, knowing and, and doing the best that you can with with your equipment to know that, you know, it's going to perform is a yeah. big deal. And I was reaffirmed with that because that was a really nice buck, one of the biggest ones I've ever shot, certainly one of the top two or three largest body size deer I've ever shot. And uh, the amount of damage it did on a less than desirable outcome in terms of entry and exit was yeah impressed so i will continue to praise the uh the grim reaper and i guess by default the arrow too because it could have failed as well what were you what what uh were you shooting the whitetail specials um no just the uh the i think they call it razor tip it's the one that's got like the it looks like a muzzy head and it's got little uh like razor yeah i know protrusions Mm -hmm. on the head but it's got that big do they call it trocar? Am I using the right word there? It's a it's a, a kind of a jagged uh, bone crushing. I think that's how Muzzy marketed it, like a bone crushing tip. And um, so it's a little bit shorter than the whitetail special. And I think it's an inch and a three quarters rather than the two inch whitetail special. But, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but to answer that question more fully, I have shot deer with both, and you know I'm not going to talk about the questionable shot, but in terms of just a a, a good shot. I didn't see a lot of difference between the two inch and the inch and a quarter. Both of them performed well, cut and bled well. So, I mean, both of those broadheads, I uh, would be comfortable shooting. So you're shooting like. your Hoyt. Uh, did you end up selling that yet? Yeah, I did. And my new one is Jay. Jay is supposed to have my new one Monday. I got the new Helix, 2019 oh, cool. Helix. Nice, man. Um, I uh, I was wondering, what pound did you have that bow on, 70 or 60? It's about 62. I have a 65-pound limbo, uh-huh. and I've, I started doing that about um, three years ago, I think, when I got the, uh, when I had the uh, 
the Alpha Max. I guess that might have been a little more than three years ago, but I kind of bought into the theory. Uh, maybe it's not a theory. Maybe it's a proven fact, but I, I don't want to buy a 70-pound limb and back it down. I want to try to maximize, mm-hmm. and I feel like, a, you know, and with the cam system and all, you know, you don't want to be on the far uh, back end of, course. of the boat's capability. You want to maximize it. Um, for So I buy a 65-pound limb because I know I'm not going to shoot more than 65 pounds. So, um, yeah, so I've got it cranked down a few pounds. I'm, I'm 62, 63. I got you. So you've got... Uh, hundred grain broadhead, one and three quarter inch cut grim reaper, shooting sixty two pounds. Do you have any idea what your uh, arrow weight is on it? It's about uh, four twenty, okay. I think, right around there, between four hundred and four twenty. I shoot uh, four. I shoot four fletch arrows. I shoot the uh, the little AAE Max mm-hmm. vein, the stiffer vein, and I four fletch them. Gotcha. So um, you know, I shoot a nocturnal. And a, and a wrap, so I mean, it adds a little bit of weight and all that. And then that that arrow I'm shooting, I think, is nine point one grains per inch, and they're about twenty seven inches. So you do the math; it it comes in um, around four twenty. And the the element arrow is, is the uh, is one of the arrows that uses the outsert. You know the yeah uh, the outsert on the end, so that adds a little bit of of grain weight. So I'm shooting a yeah I'm shooting a decent decent uh, weight arrow. It's a micro diameter. It's two oh four. Okay. Yeah, it's kinda in between, huh? Yeah, it's kind of the middle. I got that's you. and I that's what I shot with the gold I shot the two oh four gold tips. I, I like that. It's not you know, to me it's uh, I'm just kind of an in the middle guy there, you know. I mean I I, I like that, that medium diameter. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of taking you. advantage of the th- the theory of the advantages of the bigger air versus the micro diameter, you just sit in the middle and and I think you just kinda cover some of the benefits of both. Well, um, look, man, you, you got anything else that, uh, that you want to add about this season or, or bring up before we shut it down? No, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sad to see it go, but, uh, Hey man, there's always another hunt. Um, uh, you know, hopefully there will be anyway. And, um, hopefully next year we get better weather. I felt like our weather kind of sucked, you know, uh, yeah. and I know it's all cyclical, you know, last year, uh, past season, not this one, but the one before, we had really good cold weather, yeah, and a lot of good days. And uh, this year didn't feel like we had a lot of that. I didn't. I didn't get to hunt at home as much as I wanted to because I've gotten more fair weathered. It's not fair weathered in my ambition, but fair weathered in my tactics. And I just don't spend a lot of time hunting when the wind and the weather's not right. And um, looking eight months down the road, hopefully we we get better Mississippi River cooperation for those of us that hunt along the river and get some better cold fronts and and all that but uh other than that man just and enjoyed it and blessed to be able to do it and hope looking forward to another year yeah well look uh i appreciate you uh helping out with the podcast this year and being on as many episodes as you were thanks for for sharing your season with us and we're gonna we're gonna keep going to the next guy keep it rolling so uh good luck to you i'll talk to you soon all right all right buddy we'll talk later all right bye all right guys we're on the phone with barrett fritcher who has Taking a, a five-minute drive down the road, he is actually sitting in a place I think everybody will be familiar with. You are under the overpasses at the Whiskey Bay slash Sherburn exit at the Chafalaya Basin on I-10 right now, right? That's correct. Yeah, because you don't have very good service at your camp in the basin, so you pulled up there. Anyway, uh, you I know you hunt a lot in the basin. Um, you hunt a lot out of state. Uh, Oklahoma, right? That's correct. 
So, um, yeah, yeah we, so give us give us kind of a recap on your season, um, you know, where you hunted, um, how your season went, how many deer you killed, things like that. Man, I had an awesome season. Uh, well, we still got two weeks left in the basin here because we closed on February 15th. So I'm still kind of at it. Uh, I mean, even though I'm already gearing up and looking towards next year, but mm-hmm. uh, the season has been phenomenal, man. I had a, I had a, I started with a, it started with a low. I'll be honest. Uh, I've been driving to Oklahoma, and I didn't really have much stuff on camera in the basin, so I've been hunting Oklahoma pretty hard. And I had shot a a, a good buck that we had on camera. It was, we were thinking that he was about five, uh, five and a half to go in the one fifties. I lost, and I was like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna recover from this because I was just like a nervous wreck after that. Yeah, sitting in the stand and. uh the next weekend we went up and the the river it came up so our property in Oklahoma that we leased has a river between it and it came up so I brought my mud butt up there to cross and man it's kinda like crazy when you go up there because I I used to work offshore and I had a set schedule where I would be off a you know a month at a time and then I could hunt a month at a time. But now that I have a different job I'm limited to the weekends and it's a six hour drive so it's kinda crazy you drive up there and it's like everything's a rush, you know? Yeah. Um, so Saturday I got in a stand and, and I, ha- I had a deer that I'd been hunting for like five. I've had him on camera since 2015. I didn't want anybody to shoot him because I thought he was too young, but he was a pretty presentable deer. And I had a buddy that I'd like, I would have liked to have killed him. So I named him after a friend of mine. Uh, anyway, long story short, you know, I, I got up there Friday night, drove up. I mean, I basically didn't even sleep. Hunted Saturday morning, didn't really see much. I, I ran around and checked cameras and, and filled my feeders, made sure everything was going was good. And got in. I didn't shower or anything. Got in on Saturday, on Saturday evening, and man, like like clockwork, around like five thirty. I hear something coming from from behind me, and now so I grab my bow. All of a sudden, like I look, he's coming in so quick. I look down to my to my left, and I just see I just see a rack, like kind of running in, and he started to circle around. And man, to be honest with you, I had an idea that it was him because right after I shot him, I was like, man, I think that I, I named the deer Little Mike. I was like, man, I think that's Little Mike, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he ran in so fast. I drew back, got on the wall. I have a bad tendency of every time I shoot something, I, I don't look at what I'm shooting through before I shoot it. So my arrow hit a limb, I stuck him right in the neck, and my taxidermist is like, he hates me because every deer I shoot, well, he doesn't hate me, but every deer I shoot, he has to like <laughs> sew up a big patch on it every single time. Yeah, Like every deer I shoot. He's, he's like, man, you got to quit neck shooting these deer. Well, I spied him, he dropped right there, and sure enough, it was, a deer that I, I named Little Mike after a, a buddy of mine. And it's, it's just really cool because he ended up going se- seven and a half. Wow. At, we had a, a my, my tax service actually called in a biologist to even look at the jawbone as well. And he was like, man, that deer is seven and a half, if not older. And he goes, that's a real trophy. Even though he was only 130 inch deer as an eight point, I mean, that's just a phenomenal kill. I mean, definitely the oldest deer I've ever killed. Yeah. And, um, just a lot, just a lot of history of them on camera. I mean, I have pictures all the way, like I said, back to 2015. It was just unbelievable, you know. 
And he's been in like a ghost to me. I mean, I always say if I ever get a chance to shoot him, he's been like one of my number one bucks for since then. You know, I didn't want to shoot him, but I just have a, you know, something about a big deer with less points. It's just, I don't know. It captures yeah, me. Like yeah, a big absolutely. seven or a big eight is like my dream, you know? Yeah. So, well, um, so, so that was in Oklahoma, right? How, how, yeah, that's that's correct. So how many deer? How many deer did you end up killing this year? In total? Uh, five so far. Um, so far, yeah, got two weeks left. Yeah. Got two weeks left. I'd like to get one more doe and uh, and finish out strong. So know? how many? How many did you kill in Louisiana? How many did you kill out of state? Two, two in Louisiana and three out of state. Uh, one buck and a doe in Louisiana, and Two bucks in a doe in Oklahoma. Nice. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, and we hadn't talked about this this season, early season you had kind of planted some throw-and-grow food plots, like bow-stand food plots in the woods, in the basin. Did you, did, did those ever end up producing anything for you? All right. So I put in so much work into all these food plots and took so much pride in them, and only one of them took off. And it is like I have the biggest turnips I've ever seen in my life on it, and not a single thing is touching them. It's kind of driving <laughs> me crazy. Yeah. Now everything, everything else. So the idea when I did that is that I was going to plant. It was the tail end of the summer, so I was going to plant a summer, and then I talked to different uh, farmers and like the guys at, at the feed stores and stuff where I was buying the grain and stuff. So I was mixing like a fall. I was having a fall mix that. So when the summer stuff got eaten all by the deer and it had died from the frost and everything it would rot decay kind of act as a fertilizer to help the winter stuff come up and only about i'd say about 15 percent of that came up mm. of that stuff so i kind of i had such a good early start in oklahoma that i kind of said you know my food plots didn't really take too well i'm gonna i'm gonna try to take it up trail hunting and I kind of had a big switch, and it's been a, a a major learning curve for somebody who, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up hunting over feed my whole life, and you know, feed's legal. I'm all for it. You know, I, I think personally, sometimes it's harder to kill a mature buck over feed mm-hmm. than in certain in, in certain circumstances because they know it's not a natural source. You know, and yeah. not, it made it to that point. Um, but hunting a deer on a trail is definitely something. I mean, it's a, it's, it's just a whole nother, it's a whole nother form of hunting, but it's somewhere once you learn it, you can take it anywhere, you know? Yeah. It gives you the confidence to go, you know, let's say go out of state to Kansas or Missouri and, 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 and try these public lands in different places. And even in our own home state, like I say every year, I want to go to Thistleway and I want to hunt trails in Thistleway because, you know, it's just, that's just one of my goals in life, but I still have yet to do it, but yeah, next year, maybe next year's the year. Well, anyhow, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I have talked a few times this year about, uh, you know, you trying to make the transition to hunting more naturally, yeah. I guess you could say, um, Definitely. you know, more natural, you know, browse or trails or, um, travel routes or, you know, Definitely. pinch points and stuff. And, uh, I think I've, <laughs> I think I've gotten more than one text from you uh mid morning or right before dark uh saying <laughs> i don't know how the hell you do this <laughs> this oh, yeah, sucks definitely. <laughs> this definitely. is terrible definitely. It's, 
it's uh it goes you know you go from you know well man i'm feeling pretty confident because the steed sat out there for a day or two there's definitely something hitting it blah 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 you know and then even if you don't see a deer you're like well man if i hunt the same tomorrow the chance of seeing a deer is probably pretty good yeah and then and then you go to like you know you go to trail hunting and you might see deer but they're out of range so you're just like now you're trying to figure out okay well i'm still i'm seeing deer so it's good but how am I going to close the distance now? You know, or how am I going to get them in that in that zone? And then, but man, I tell you one thing: when you do kill one on a trail, it's almost because it's something you're trying. It's it's not it's out it's out of your league. You know, you're thinking so when when you connect the dots, it's like twice the reward. You know, like yeah. shooting a doe on a trail is like you know I'm like just as jacked up as I did was when I shot that seven and a half year old deer. In Oklahoma, I've been going after air because it's like, man, this is something not natural to me. You know, I'm, I can conquer the world. You know, you just you get that that rush. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really know how else to explain. I get so jacked up over every every deer that I I, I killed my butt. It's just like it's always a new experience or, or something different on the track. You know, it's always something to learn. You know, I, that's what that's what I love about bow hunting, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. But, so, so when you were, when you were hunting those trails and whatnot, are you hunting like a mobile stand or are you setting up something, uh, and then, and then, uh, it's permanent and you're just sneaking in? I'm using, well, I kind of do both. I kind of go scout and I, I'm looking for sod. And then I'm also looking like early season. I tried something that I had, uh, I've seen Harmon talk about a few times on some of his posts and, and different things where he, he would actually strip greenbrier off off a tree and mm-hmm. put it in a pile and the deer would eat it. And I, man, I, honestly, I thought that was uh, not true. And then I tried it and <laughs> I was in, I, I, I found, you know, everybody talks about that one tree, you know, uh, that, that, that golden, that golden tree, that chopping those acorns and those deer just want to be in that tree. Yeah. Well, I, I sat on that tree this year in Oklahoma and I actually, that's why I found that first deer, that 150 inch deer that I lost was on that trail. I mean, every time I passed on the bike, I was busting does off there. I was like, you know what, dude? It was like, this can't be any more of a sign to put a stand right here than right now. So I, I, I like ran into town. I went and bought some sticks. I bought a lock here, a lock on it. And trying to find a, a stand in southeastern Oklahoma in a farm town is like, I was I was must have made like a fifty mile round trip oh, driving man. everywhere to go find a stand. I didn't know. So by the time I got, I ju- jumped in it. Let me tell you, I no sooner than I got that stand, I had deer coming in. So the next day, I was like, they had some green briar, and, and I was kind of like, as I hunted that first time, I was like, man, this was kind of in the way, and I was kind of like, these lines in the way of shots, trying to like give me some give me some holes to shoot through. So a lot of the stuff I was ripping down was green briar. I was like, well, instead of just dragging it out of the toss and I was like, well, I concentrated into a little pile. Well, the next day, I would be darned, dude, if not at least five deer that came in that day went over and munched on that before they had left. At That's least five of them did. It was cool. like mind-blowing to me that that happened. And I was like, dang. I was like, I gotta, if I see this stuff, I gotta, ought to try this more often, you know? So Harmon, Or if you're Harman, on public land or something, you yeah. know? So. Harmon wasn't lying to you, huh? No, it was not. It was not. I just, uh, I just, you know, you take things, you, you, you hear things, and, and, so, and sometimes things just sound bizarre to you. You know, like, man, you're thinking, like, well, my sense on that, so why would a deer eat that with my sense on that? But, you know, 
or something like that when you're grabbing it or this, that, and the next thing. But Yeah, just, just so everybody listen, listening knows what we're talking about, if you've been hunting any time in the last month, there's probably not a leaf on a tree, right? It's just bare, bare tree, no leaves, uh, see pretty far through the canopy straight in front of you when you're up in your tree. And um, if you're wondering what you need to pull down, in a lot of places across the state, I, I don't know if they grow in the piney woods or not. I don't I don't ever hunt piney woods, so I just am not sure. But um, next time you're in, your, you're in your deer stand, late season, late December, January, when all the browse is dead, all the acorns have stopped dropping pretty much, um, and you're in your tree, just look out eye level with you 15 to 20 feet up, and you'll see uh, this green briar, thorny, uh, I can't remember what, what else, um, I think, it's uh, that stuff that always rips up in your clothes. He gets call, me all the time. Uh, Harmon calls it Smilac, S-M-I-L-A-C, yeah, S-M-I-L-A-C, I believe. It's, um, it's the big thorn bushes, big thorn vine that comes up out of the ground that, that works its way up the trees. Well, when it gets up to the treetop, it drops its thorns and it grows, you know, the, the leafy, um, kind of a waxy leafy, almost looks like ivy a little bit. Um, and, uh, you just pull that stuff down out of the tree, you know, hang from it with your body weight, pull it out of the treetop, pile it up, and you're essentially providing a natural food source, uh, right then and there. And if you don't chop the, if you don't chop the, uh, the vine, it'll stay growing, you know, it'll stay alive until everything gets eaten off of it. And Harmon's got like time-lapse videos of, of deer coming in like locusts over two and three days and just eating every leaf and stem off of these things it's crazy um so uh it's a great late season trick you know early season it's a little unnecessary because it's not um their favorite food but when all the browse is dead and all the grass is dead and the acorns stop dropping and you know there's not much to eat on you know they'll gravitate towards it so um yeah that's a great trick and Harmon's a beast for uh you know, introducing that one to us. That's a, that's a good trick right there. But, um, so, so tell me this, man. So you say, you say you start, want to start hunting public. Uh, you want to start hunting a little more mobile. Um, you have any, any of that gear right now, or do you need to buy it or or what? Oh, I need to buy it all. I have, I thought I was going to do it. I bought some heavier uh, sticks a while back from river's edge. It's just a little heavier than what I like. Mm-hmm. And I got uh, the Millennium. I think it's the 100 or, or 150 U. It's yeah. a it's a sit in it's a sit in stand with a seat. It's not like a bench seat, but yeah. uh, it's just kind of it's just kind of big and bulky, and it, it's a little bit unnecessary. So I'm trying to lighten up as uh, much as possible. So I kind of have a, a idea of what I want to do and things I, and things I want to try during the off season to see how that things go i think i think one thing i'm gonna do is get a, a millennium m7 mm-hmm. and definitely try to um do some things to make it quieter but also i think either a get some really light click sticks to go and i think i'm gonna do three with the eight step or b i'm gonna just bite the bullet and i'm thinking about buying some climbing spurs and and trying that now i have to look more into regulations and stuff like that i don't know if you can use climbing spurs on public land no, you know you i know you, not. Not, you can't damage the tree so i might not even be able to do that you cannot but, no 
You can? No, you cannot. You can use them on your you, private property, but you, yeah, can't, you so, can't use spurs on public land. So I definitely probably have to end up getting both, but I thought climbing spurs would be even, you know, you, know, you just put them on your boots and rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, for, for hunting around, you know, my property in the base and then in Oklahoma and stuff, you know, you go scout, this looks like a good spot, just just – you got your harness on. You throw your you throw your lineman's belt around the tree. You got your, your gear, rig your rig your pack where you can put it all on your back and have everything hanging. You know your aluminum uh, ratchet uh, cam lock bracket. Climb on up the tree. I've been hunting with M7 for a couple of years now. I, I love it. And I mean, you know me, I'm a big guy, so yeah. I, I you know I think it's really comfortable. Um, but I really got tired of the uh, the ratcheting. Uh, strap yeah. and the cam block that thing weighs almost three pounds for that whole assembly together as it is yeah. um and so i ended up doing some major surgery to my stand um i drilled a ton of holes in it cut some weight down um and i cut the tongue off of it that little um that piece that slides into the block i cut that off and replaced it with um one of the V brackets from Lone Wolf, and then I went to the Versa button mod on them, um, and that worked really well. Uh, I've got two Versa buttons. I use two straps, and I can hang it pretty quick and very silently, and it locks in real tight to the tree. You don't have to ratchet or anything. Um, and speaking of the M7, just so everybody knows, uh, it is not eight and a half pounds. That stand weighs almost eleven pounds. Um, and that's not including the block. I don't know how they're weight, getting eight and a half pounds out of that thing. Maybe they're doing it without the seat top or something because that stand on a scale weighs something around 10 and three quarter pounds, which is to me, that's bullshit because that yeah. is a 25% increase in weight over what it's advertised to be. And that pissed me off. Um, but I, I got mine by cutting off the tongue, drilling holes, getting rid of the block and all the, you know, well, the block wasn't factored in the weight anyway. I got mine down to nine pounds. And I'll tell you, if I drilled another hole in mine, I'd start to worry about it, you know? And so it's crap that they've lied about the weight on that. That one really pissed me off. Um, and then the same thing, you know, people think the, the M 100 U is like 12 pounds. No, that thing's like 15 and a half pounds. It's it's just yeah. blatant lies. It really bothers me. Um, you know, I don't want to. Uh, I'm not trying to spoil in, spoil anything, but you know, talking to Corey and Seth at Old Cypress Outdoors, they have something in the works for a lighter mobile stand. I get a lot of people requesting that, especially with um, especially with how popular light mobile sets are these days. Um, and it, you know, we're kind of to the teetering point now where. If you want a light stand, you're either going to pay a lot of money for something that weighs under 10 pounds or you're going to start looking at a saddle. Um, and, yeah. uh, man, I'm just not sold on the saddle. I think, I don't know. I mean, I know recurves are a lot longer axle to axle than a compound, but I feel like it'd just be, I feel like you'd get caught in an awkward position. I think you, it, you, it's something that would take a lot of practice before, you know, before the season, which you, you should be doing anyway, but I just still think you could get, you could get a, I don't know. I would hate to have a, a missed opportunity on one, one of my number one bucks just because I was in the wrong position. You know what I mean? I'd like to have the opportunity yeah. to stand on something, be able to flip around if I need to, you know, 
and make my shot. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm not sold. I just, that's, on, that's what I think about. I'm not sold on the saddles. I, I I'll also tell you I've never tried one. Um, yeah. But I generally, and I've said this on the podcast in the past, when the crowd runs one direction, I'm going to sneak out the back the other way. I, yeah. you know, um, there's there's a lot of reputable, you know, highly uh, successful hunters that are hunting out of a saddle. Harmon's one. Warren Womack's one. Um, I, I can name five to ten other people I know that are hunting out of saddle, but... Um, those people aren't hyping up saddles like others are. It's, it's it's funny to me that the people that are the the biggest killers usually uh, are the most humble and the ones kind of like that old saying, uh, that old saying, "He who speaks the most knows the least." You know, you got these guys on the internet, you know, talking about how great their saddle is and how it's so effective. And they love it. They love it. They love it. But they haven't killed anything all year at all with anything, you know, and so. Um, my problem with them is that saddles are not new. Guido's web has been out for 30 years. Um, there's a lot of other saddle systems and, um, uh, and, and things like that that have been out for a long, long time. I understand they're advancing, but, um, I mean, it, it's just, it, the other thing is per, per, and I'm not trying to sway anybody's opinion. I guess more than anything, I'm trying to get people to think about, is this right for me? You know, if you, don't have a single bow kill or you're just getting into archery and it's your first year, let's lay off the saddle for a little bit. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Like you've got some other things to work on before you worry about, um, which knee pads you want to wear on the tree with you, you know? Um, but, uh, anyway, you know, I'm, I do, I see the benefits. It's very light. It's extremely mobile. It's packable and, and all of that stuff. But at the same time, um, like I said, I tend to run in the opposite direction of themes that things that are majorly hyped up. So time will tell to see how popular they are in five years. We'll see. Um, but, uh, so anyway, man, let's get, you know, let's get back to your season and, and, um, kind of what's your plan for the next two weeks and what are you focusing on, uh, for the next Uh, couple, couple weeks? Well, there's a spot that hasn't been, there's a spot on our property that hasn't had really any pressure on it at all so the, i think about a week ago i snuck back in there and kind of just started doing a little scouting i found some i found an area where it's about 20 to 30 trees are rubbed about the size of my quad and uh it's pretty good so wow. i'm thinking it's a good deer but i have cameras and i don't really have anything great on camera yet so either he got killed or not really sure, but that's where I'll be spending my last two weeks. Kind of, it's a it's a big hole, which is to me a, a hole I call hole is like a small, like a like a slough or small. It's mm-hmm. about a sixty acre hole. Yeah, back there that that I, I think is pl- plenty big enough to hold a mature deer in. So hopefully, with all the pressure that has been from the north of that hole and the south of that hole, maybe he just end up in there with some does. And we still have some some bucks chasing does. So hopefully, I can catch him. Um, I'll be in there tomorrow morning, so we'll see what happens. Well, good luck, man. I'm, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm just, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, uh, I get up, you know, um, there's the ace in the deck of cards somewhere and he just pops out. But yeah. I, all my cameras are in Oklahoma still, so I have been, I've been, I've been running 
borrowed cameras from uh, uncles and friends and stuff like that. Yeah. So why I can just kind of get by until I can get up there to get my stuff. But well, just try like, to try to keep your uh, try and keep your bow together for these last two weeks of the season. Oh right? yeah, no, no joke, man. Uh, How many times have, been, you, have you blown up your bow? This has arguably been the best season of my life, but the worst season for luck. I'm telling you, my bow is taken. <laughs> I, if anybody knows me, I baby my bow more than anybody. I'm so particular with it. I think maybe maybe five people, the bow that I'm hunting with right now, have held it ever. I'd rather put it on the ground than let somebody hold it. Like, that's how particular I am with it. And <laughs> so far this season, it has fallen off my – it is the strap. My bow sleeve strap has snapped on my back. And it didn't wait to do that until I got all the way to the top of my stand. Like, I'm climbing in and, like, stepping into my stand. It broke off my back. The bow fell all the way down. So, I'm thinking, like, great, this hunt's really – and about what? Like two weeks after that, I'm in a climber and I was I was getting down at the end of the hunt, so I had kind of like had put my bow like real carefully on the climber in front of me. Well, I was facing the tree and I was going to like kind of move one of my foots. I picked one I, I picked one of my feet up and the and the bottom just fell out, dude. And I ended up all my weight fell down on my bow. So I'm like, oh my gosh. Thinking like now, now I've definitely been to Kansas. And next thing, no, not even a scratch. Everything was fine. After both those, both things worked out. Well, the third thing happens is I'm sleeping in my camp, and for whatever reason, I wake up at one o'clock in the morning. Well, Lafayette Shooters and uh, a couple of different bow shops—they sell these bow holders. They go on your wall, but it's like a it clips you cam your string, it, and then you you, you yeah. click you click your string into it. It's like a like with those, uh, if you look at like some of those cabinets that are, are pre-made, it has like the little rollers in the clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you push the cabinet in, it holds it. And that's what your string kind of clicks in. And it's been phenomenal, but for whatever reason, somebody is like, man, you're always scared of that that little clicker's going to give way and your brother's going to fall. And I guess that jinxed me because I woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning one day off the couch to go to bed and my bow was laying on the ground. I knew I'd clicked it in. And so being half asleep, I I was nervous. I checked my cans, checked everything, <laughs> looked at my sight, made sure nothing was loose. I was like, well, look, I'm just going to shoot it real quick, make sure it's on, even though it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I have a target in my yard at 25 yards at the camp. And so I, I kind of like rigged up a spotlight to where it would shine on it from the camp mm-hmm. balcony, and I was going to shoot my target just one time. Well, of course, I had like a dozen arrows in my room, and only one of them didn't have a field tip. And what air did I grab at one o'clock in the morning was the one without the field tip. <laughs> so I shoot my bow and the whole thing, the whole string just <laughs> like comes off and makes a noise like that. I'm like, really? Wow. Blew it I, was up. Like, I, I take my cams. What the hell is going on? So I'm like, I'm like, man, this cannot like be any worse than a year for my bow. Yeah. And so I'm like, if you know me, I, like try, try to get a, try to go back to sleep after that. You know what I mean? I'm just like laying in bed, like <laughs> replaying the minutes. Like, yeah. Wait, I'm like, what bow shop am I going to go to? Cause I was doing a job of blacking in. I'm like thinking like, man, I know I get an hour lunch. I'm just not going to eat lunch. I'm just going to run up to, uh, the Stillway sportsman. The guy there is super cool. I'm like, this dude's like, I'm like, what, what did you, cause I had him check it out when I fell on it in the climber and he's like, you know, I walk in, I was like, man, we need you to look at my bug. And I was like, what happened? I was like, this. He's like, what did you do? I was like, well. Yeah. So the next morning, I go pull the arrow out. I find the arrow, pull it out. When I pull out of the ground, come to find out, didn't have a field tip on it. So if anybody's wondering, 
Well, I've had other people call and say, man, I've shot my bow before without a field tip. Not a good idea. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. Well, 100% don't recommend it. But the reason that happened to me is because I'm shooting 80-pound limbs on a bow. It's not supposed to be shooting 80-pound limbs. I'm shooting so fast with such yeah. a light arrow yep. that every grain counts. So when I took that field tip off, I just took 100 grains off that arrow, which made it, instead of a 400-grain arrow, made it a 300-grain arrow. Yep. And that's the reason that happened. I think it wasn't a full, it wasn't a blatant draw fire, but basically like three quarters of the way draw fired my bow. Yeah. In a sense. So, well, keep it together but, the rest of the season, man. Yeah. So I got two weeks and then, and then I'm going to have some, have some plans for, I don't know. Steve's not everything, but I like to see how fast I can make it. I'm placing bearings in it and I'm going to, I got some tricks for strings and stuff. I'm going to try out. Cool. This next season, and see what and see what I can get at the push. So, Sounds good, man. Be interesting. Yeah. Well, look, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? I'm excited for everybody uh, to see how everybody's off season goes, and to see everybody out at the 3D shoot. I'm uh, pretty pumped up about that. So, if anybody does it now, that's gonna be fun. We're having an awesome 3D shoot this year. So, yeah, March 9th, Louisiana Bow Hunter 3D Challenge, Pollock, Louisiana. Uh, we're Locks helping me wrap up all the. Uh, the banners and everything for right now we're starting to get all the final details pulled together and we're going to be giving away um it's uh, over thirty five hundred dollars in cash i think it's actually like thirty six fifty or something thirty six seventy five or something like that so uh, a lot of money giving away a lot more money than last year um a lot more classes than last year so if you can make it out march 9th it's a saturday well uh look man i appreciate you joining us uh, today man and um you know, good luck the rest of the season. Keep us up to date. All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, Keller. See you, Barrett. All right, guys. We're on the phone with Brian Chamberlain out of Covington, Louisiana, and he's going to kind of give us a, a season recap of uh, of this year. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us, Brian. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So, in a, in a couple of uh, words, how how did your season go this year? You know, there's from I guess I have a couple of views on that the first one there's some things that i that i learned this season that and some things that i did that i didn't do in previous seasons that i'm pretty happy with um but then there's another view and i did not end up with a buck on my wall for this year and so yeah so it's a you know there's some there's a it hadn't been perfect but at the same time you know we did some things different had some opportunities um at the buck that i basically um it was after all year long and just a couple of small things kept me from putting an arrow in him yeah i think if i remember correctly didn't you have an encounter with him at some point in time it was too dark yeah. or something yeah actually i had two encounters with him and i you know, normally i'm just kind of in, in years previous i just kind of hunted certain areas and moved around in stands, but not really, I hadn't really targeted a specific buck, but you know, there was just uh, this guy kind of lit a fire under me and, uh, and as I wanted that buck. And so I concentrated on him basically all year long. And so, um, you know, he, uh, there, there's a couple times, the, the first time you know, sitting just outside of a food plot and kind of circled around and came right underneath my stand and uh, trying to get situated to where I could draw um, as he's passing and about to be about 10 yards on the hill in front of me and my boots squeaked and oh, uh, he yeah. looked right up at me and we made eye contact for about 10 seconds and, and he was gone. 
Yep. Um, I've been there, been there, done that one, man. That's yeah. it. That one stings. That one yeah. stings bad. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I ran into him actually about nine o'clock in the morning. I ended up deciding, okay, you know, he may be kind of spooked with the food plot. So a couple weeks later, I kind of knew where he was bedding just from the trail cameras and moving him around and trying to figure out what direction he was coming from. And so I just, uh, I set up in a bottom where a bunch of trails came together about nine in the morning, heard footsteps and, uh, turned around. He's, he's behind me. He's coming on the trail. And I, uh, I don't know, I don't know what I did, but, uh, he was about 23 yards. I let him get past me. So he was kind of, I was kind of out of his peripheral vision and, uh, went to draw my bow and, I don't know if I just moved too much or what, but he, he caught me and he, he ran up a hill until he was about 60 yards away and looked back and dropped over the other side. And I never saw him again in person. Mm, yeah. Well, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail, right? Yep. Yep. That's so, exactly it. So what'd you end up killing this season? And the only thing I killed, plenty of pigs. I probably killed 12 or 13 pigs, um, wow. a couple of does and, uh, and they uh, thought about killing about a hundred armadillos, but uh, spared their <laughs> lives. Yeah. Well, you at least you got some meat in the freezer, right? Yeah, 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 we did. And so, but I think uh, you know, what I, you know, every other year, like I said, I, I hunted over, like I just hunted an area. This year, like we, we, I actually paid attention to what you know the bucks were. That buck in particular was doing, you know, where where he was bedding, mm-hmm. where he was eating, and uh, you know, so. You know, it's kind of a success, I guess. I think that next year, um, you know, I've, I've gained some experience on how they travel, you know, and, and what they do that I didn't really pay attention to in years previous. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it'll give me a, a leg up next year. So in a way, you know, we you know, we ended up without a buck. But at the end of the day, I also learned a lot of things. And a lot of things worked. It was just a couple of just a couple split-second you know, deals that, that came into play that kept me from putting an arrow in them. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, it, it only, it's funny. You got people that, um, uh, you know, hunted hard till the very end. I think some people are learning in their bow hunting career that it, it really does only take a couple seconds for everything to change, you know, um, especially when you're hunting public land and you're not hunting a supplied food source of any type, you don't necessarily have the luxury of, you know, watching five does at a hundred yards kind of working their way to you. Sometimes it can Mm be, you got five seconds to get everything together and and execute a a kill shot on an animal. And, uh, and you could have been sitting dormant in your tree for the last eight hours. And then all of a sudden five seconds it clicks and clicks over, you know? And so, um, that's the, the fun part about it. But so you killed a, killed a bunch of pigs this year. Were you hunting, um, public land or you hunting private land? Yeah, so I, I hunt some public, a uh, you know, big branch um, over here in, in Lacombe. Um, and then my, my wife's family's got 1,400 acres down in Braithway, south of Chalmette. Mm-hmm. And then uh, four buddies, uh, three buddies and myself, we've got about 270 acres that we lease up in Natchez, uh, Mississippi. Nice. And so, but the, the, the pigs were all taken down in Braithway, though. They just got, I mean, they have so many pigs down there. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. And so, yeah. I, uh, so I, I actually... What's cool about that is a lot that most of the pigs that I kill, probably almost all of them, I don't kill out of a stand. I'll get down there uh, right before daylight and start walking the roads just as it's getting light. And so those pigs have been out eating all night and they're just either they're still feeding and, you know, they got to tell about an hour after daylight till they're, they're headed back to bed. 
Yeah. And uh, that's where I catch them. It's a pretty, you have a pretty high success rate. That's awesome. Doing man. it that way. You're yeah. shooting them off the ground, huh? Just, yeah, spot and stock. Sometimes crawling on my belly. Sometimes, sometimes you see them off in the distance with binoculars and you got to <laughs> play the wind and make your way around. Yeah. Uh, it may take you a half a mile of walking around to get in the right position. Yeah. But, uh, but it's pretty cool. That's the way I like doing it. Nice, man. So, um, did you hunt with a bow all season or did you pick up the gun at all? I picked up the gun with my daughter. And so I've got a five-year-old daughter. She actually is, uh, she's starting to shoot a bow. I bought her a, a, a compound bow this year. And, uh, so nice. she's, she's practicing, but obviously she's not at a point where she can shoot at an animal. So, um, I took her out with a gun and, uh, and we shot a spike together. And so that's great. So that's we, awesome. Yeah. Man. That's yeah. exciting. So, and that was in, that was in Louisiana or that was on your place in Mississippi? Yeah. In Louisiana. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, um, you know, if you reflect back on your season, is there anything that you learned? Uh, you said you did a couple things different. Is there anything that you're going to apply next season or maybe even stop doing next season? I, you know, I think that, um, I think that, um, that I'll do a lot of things the same, to be honest with you, even though I didn't come out of the season, you know, with a buck, I think that, you know, you'd, you'd come so close to where, um, I don't know if I'll change my boots. so They don't squeak. But, uh, but, you know, we, we, there's, I just feel like there's a lot of things that I did right and it just didn't work out. Yeah. And so I know that's not always going to be the case, but that's why I bow hunt is because when it does work out, it's just so much better. Yeah, know? absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, great. I think that's a great viewpoint and a great way to look at your season too, you know? Okay. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up, man? No. That is it. That's all I got. That's perfect, man. Well, look, I appreciate you joining us and, and kind of giving us some insight on your season and reflecting back on it. And, uh, you know, good luck next season. All right? All right, my friend. Thank you very much. All right, man. See ya. All right, guys. We're on the phone with Chris Berard out of Cecilia, Louisiana, who uh, is still in Area 6. has got a couple weeks left to hunt, but, um, you know, wanted to catch up with him and talk about just how the season's been for kind of uh, South Louisiana public land. So, Chris, thanks for joining us today, man. Not a problem. Not a problem. So tell us, how has your season been this year as you look back on uh, on it at the end of the season? Oh, uh, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, I mean, a lot of water. Um, I don't think it necessarily hurt us. I think, in, if anything, it helped us find deer, you know? Yeah. I mean, the deer are going to be, you find a ridge. I mean, you might walk you know, a ways in the water. But if you find that, that one ridge with, you know, nut alls or, or any kind of feed, honey locust, stuff like that, I mean, they're going to be there, you know. You'll hear them coming through the water. We actually, well, I, I know I did. I, I saw, I definitely saw more deer this year than I did last year. And I'm assuming, I'm, I, w- I wouldn't say assume, but uh, I think the water helped out, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the deer just feel so much safer in the water, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and it and it helps uh kind of concentrate where you should put your efforts or scout right, or, or whatever right. so um i mean I, I can tell you you know you and i've been friends for a couple of years now you know you and i <laughs> you and i actually met during uh duck season um we <laughs> we battled i'm gonna I'm tell it yeah i'll just tell the story real quick so uh we battled each other for a certain spot on public land for like four years in a row. It was a while. <laughs> it was only, it was only opening weekend though. 
Okay. Yeah, opening weekend the first weekend, and then the opening weekend of the second split. Well, I think I don't think you went. The I don't. No, split. I usually broke the out of there. Split. Yeah, I usually broke out of there for the second split. But um, anyway, so the, the the story is like we all have our uh, podnas, right? Our, our squad, if you will, and and you ha- it's even more so when you're duck hunting, but. Uh, so you had your, your, your boys and I had mine, we were duck hunting buddies. And then we would always like the very first year, uh, y'all beat us to the spot. And then the second year, the water was real low, real, real low. And, um, it, the, the hole that we wanted to hunt, the hole we had been fighting over was just totally covered in uh, in lilies and i remember passing y'all up as far back as y'all could go and pretty much like flipping you the bird as we passed you up <laughs> and and being like f those guys we're going even further back and we had and me and me and my my friends we had three mud boats and we tore up all those lilies from like four in the morning to daylight and we we made a hole in two hours uh, in this whole place and we murdered him. Right. And yeah. so the next year, uh, y'all beat us again. Right? <laughs> and then the fourth year, like and every year that we beat each other, it kept like, we kept getting to the launch like earlier and earlier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it started <laughs> like, like well, we, we know those guys are going to be there. We yeah. Be there earlier than we were last year. And so, yeah, it started at <laughs> we like, four, always like 10 minutes apart though. Yeah. It started at like 4am and then it went to like three and then it went to midnight, and then and then the next year turned into a tailgate. It was nine p.m. I show up, and you assholes were parked down the boat launch, and you were like, yeah. "Listen, we're not this moving." This is going far. <laughs> and, and I was like, "Fine, whether you like it or not, we're going to be friends." And we like camped out in our truck and all yeah. this stuff, and you, you I, had a bunch of beef jerky. I had yeah a bunch of duck jerky that oh, yeah, I made. Yeah, duck jerky. And you actually offered us. Uh, you said I. I tell you what, if if y'all let me hunt that hole, I'll give y'all all the duck jerky <laughs> and and three dozen Dakotas. Oh yeah, I was I had some Dakota decoys too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I gave look, I gave my best sales pitch, and, and, you know, the most persuasive uh offer i could and and just out of principle alone y'all y'all were like nope you can't have it (laughs) and i had been beat i you know i remember i was trying to call people to go down the back pipeline and walk in right you know yeah yeah. you can get them you can get around it yeah and uh, nobody would do it so and then if i left if i left y'all knew i would have been obvious yeah one of us would have snuck off so sometimes (laughs) Sometimes you gotta bite the bullet, and now look at you. Now, now we're we're best friends. You know, you still won't take me on a duck hunt. <laughs> I've taken you on at least ten deer hunts. Yeah, at least. And at uh, least. and so you know, it is it is what it is. So, you know, you said that you, I, I don't know how you said it a few minutes ago. Um, on like this, you got better, or, or this year was better, or something like that. But you know, you kind of caught on to the bow hunting bug. Uh, not that long ago, like probably. Yeah, what, this th- is my. I think it's my third year. Yeah, 
and, yeah, my third year. And so, um, you know, you're I'm not a whole lot ahead, very far ahead of you. I've only got another three or four years on you. I hadn't been bow hunting for very long. You know, yeah. I, this is not something I've been doing since I was a kid. I promise you that. And yeah. um, and so, anyway, um, y'all uh had kind of I think like most bow hunters, y'all started off in this. Uh, struggle gear like first year is like you know walking on your hands you know right. he's yeah. like what the yeah. hell am i doing like what, yeah what am i doing wrong what scent control yeah why haven't i killed anything well and then this year y'all been on fire yeah I, we saw a lot of deer this year a lot we haven't uh we haven't gotten a buck i actually had three or four different encounters but mm-hmm. you know how that goes with uh with the bow i actually get a ton of a ton of crap from my friends uh because <laughs> rifle was open oh and, uh, <laughs> yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't worry about that no yeah I, uh i got some crap for it but i mean like i tell them i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kill a a, a buck with my bow if i don't have it you know yeah absolutely. i gotta have it with me well so. um so so how has your season been how many deer have you killed you know uh, any, anything noteworthy or good stories or anything you got um i killed three uh, one was out of state in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a lot of deer over there. I mean, naturally, I mean, it's just, it's full of deer over there, but, uh, back at home, I killed two. I actually missed one last Saturday. Uh, I think I bumped, I bumped my, it, it, it's a cliche excuse, but I, I bumped my bow in the P road mm-hmm. and apparently I didn't notice it. And, uh, Shot was 45, I think, 45 yards. And at first, I thought she ducked it because uh, my buddy was with me in the same tree, and he videoed with his phone, and we kind of looked back at it, and I was like, oh, kind of looks like she ducked me, you know? So we started, uh, we got home, and we put it on the iPad and looked real good. And, I mean, it was obvious <laughs> that I had missed. I mean, it was way over the back. Airball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took off outside and shot at the target. I was about seven or eight inches high. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I guess I bumped it in the, in the field or something, you know, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I hit it. I, we walked through a, a lot of cypress knees and stuff. And I don't know if I bumped it while walking in or something and, you know, just didn't notice. Uh, but yeah, I missed that one. And then, uh, about three weeks ago, three or four weeks, uh, when we got that that those two fronts back to back, man, I saw a ton of deer. I mean, a ton. I, I mean, you know, you know where I hunt at, and it's, you see one deer, and mm-hmm. uh, you're excited about it. You know, I yeah. saw a deer. You know, and I saw that one hunt. Don't get me wrong, I hunted all day, but that one hunt, I probably saw twenty or twenty five deer. Wow. And I drew, I drew back probably, I think it was three or four times. Uh. I drew back three times on, on some does and, uh, I kind of changed my mind because it was in the middle of the road. I said, you don't need to shoot, you know, you kill three already. Just, <laughs> just, you don't need any more meat. Just, just be patient. And, uh, about 30 minutes later, four does came out and I did the same exact thing. The biggest one was in the back. I drew back and, uh, I was going to shoot. I had it on my mind. I mean, I had seen so many deer at this point. I was like, I, you know, I can afford to shoot a door right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can, I can shoot one. And, uh, I was full draw. She was 30 yards and I hear something coming through the water. 
So I drew back down and I look and there's just this beautiful eight point. I mean, oh, nice, especially for where we hunt at. You know, I mean, this, you just don't see it often. They, uh, they, um, they're shadows in the woods, you know, I mean, yeah. just, you just don't see them often. And he's coming, he's on, he's on the, he's on the Doe's trail, the one of them, you know, and, uh, he came in the, in the exact spot that I didn't need him to come in. Oh man. <laughs> the doe was in the open, the one that I had drew back on. She was in the open and he came almost in the same exact spot, but the only spot I didn't need him to go and he stopped right behind a tree. And I'm like, come on, just, you know, I'm sitting full draw 30 yards. I'm like, just take one step, you know, it's one step. It's over. And he took two hops instead of a step and kind of just, you know, <laughs> chased the does back in the swamp. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh you know? man. But I do. I mean, I saw, I think I saw four bucks that morning. I mean, they were all chasing, but that was the closest one that it, that that was the closest one I came to shooting was that one. That's great, man. That's a good hunt. I don't think you told me that story. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was fun for sure. That's definitely. I mean, that's the best hunt I've ever had. Now I will, you know, I will tell you. I will tell you when you sent me that video of you air- airballing that doe, <laughs> and you were like, you, you the, your caption was, "Watch how she ducks." I was like, I, in my head, I'm like, that deer uh, did not duck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that deer did not jump string. No, uh, I mean, no. she flinched, but she didn't drop. And I was, no. I never, I never told you that. But in my yeah, mind, when I looked back at it, I was like, because uh, I mean, we were in the tree, you know, we kind of just briefly looked at it. Yeah. And we both kind of said, yeah, she ducked, you know, whatever. Because I was thinking, you know, there's no way I would have missed that. And then. Get back on the iPod. I'm like, I mean, the iPad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, 100 percent Mister. No doubt about that. Man, I mean, I don't have enough fingers and toes to tell you how many times I've done it. But I will, I will tell you, um, I've never done it because of my bow being off. I have straight up done it because I I didn't bend at the waist and I just dropped my arms. So I mean, I would make sure make sure that you're doing that you know dr- yeah. no I, I mean i i shot I, I, I as soon as i looked at the video i was like well that's not right because i had actually she was she was 45 and i had it on my on my 30 pin because mm. i shoot a, i shoot a single pin mm-hmm. and uh i had it i had it moved up to 30 so when i went that high over i was like wait wait wait, wait. there's you yeah. know something's wrong there's not something's, something's not right i mean i had aimed a little high on the back to compensate because i was on my 30 mm-hmm. and when i missed high i was like there's no you know something happened yeah i bumped it somewhere you know hmm. so i went back and shot and it was way high yeah was, well it is it what it is seven. man yeah yeah it's a good thing i didn't uh i didn't shoot that buff i'll put it that way yeah i've been uh i've been heartbroken well you know it's a it's a good lesson to for everybody listening and, and for you to remember to, um, you know, shoot your bow every once in a while, you know, we're all, yeah, we're all yeah. guilty. We get in this, we get in this rhythm where, especially, especially like once bow season's in full swing and it, it's kind of lost its luster where, you know, it's, it's the third or fourth month of bow season. Mm-hmm. All you worried about doing is like, I need to get in the woods. You, you, yeah. you like, let me get in the woods. How do I get off of work? How do I get out mm-hmm. in the woods before it gets dark? And, you know, we kind of forget to do our due diligence on um, staying tuned up and all that. So, yeah. uh, you know, shoot your bow every every couple hunts or, or bring a field tip and, and shoot it out of the stand. Try and hit a leaf yeah. uh, 38 yards or something, you know. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I, I'm glad you missed it entirely. 
You know, there's nothing worse yeah. than when yeah, you. Yeah, no, I, I, I said the same thing. I said at least I didn't know hit her high or something, you know, or or if it had been on down instead of up and hit her in the leg or something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, tell me this. Um, you know, what, did you try anything new this year that worked well for you uh, over past years, or um, anything that you're going to stop doing? Maybe. The main thing that I've that we've done since I've started is always get away from people, you know, mm-hmm. get away, get away, get away. You know, I mean, you know how that goes. You, you run into somebody in the woods and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lose confidence. You just, I, I don't, I don't like being around people in general. You know, I just, I don't, I don't like all the scent in the woods. And, yeah. Uh, this year with the water, it was way easier to get away from people, you know? Yeah. It was, it was just, I mean, I could take my boat, as far as I could, and then I would, I would, I'd have my pirogue with me, and I'd take off my pirogue and then paddle, you know, another 30, 45 minutes and, you know, find this one little ridge with acorns on it and not a soul in sight, no flagging, you know, stuff like that. Just by yourself is, I mean, yeah. that's what made it. I think that's what, that's what a lot of uh, the success came from this year as yeah. far as seeing deer, you know? Absolutely, man. Now, um, what uh, what gear are you hunting with? You, what stand and bow and all that stuff? Um, I hunt with the uh, uh, M7, the Millennium M7 mm-hmm. with the Hawk sticks. Uh, I kind of flip flop back and forth with uh with the Summit Viper. Uh, it just depends where I'm hunting. Yeah. Uh, there was one spot close to home that I was hunting. I mean, there was nothing to climb, nothing at all. So I would I would hunt with that with my uh with my m7 a lot yeah when i would go over there but uh when i hunt i mean it just depends on hunting what i'm gonna use you know uh i like both i, I rather my lock on just because it's open yeah you know? yeah yeah yeah. you don't have anything in front of you i rather i rather something open in the front is just easier you don't have to worry about you know if a deer comes right underneath you yeah uh, hitting the hitting the stand you know yeah i hear you man uh, you know i, I remember a couple of years ago you were um kind of checking out some different broadheads i think you had one or two that didn't open for you what do you what are you hunting with this year uh nap nap yeah uh, kill zone mm-hmm. not uh, i don't use uh <clears throat> i don't use the max i just use the the regular kill zone it's not the i think it's a two two inch cut maybe mm-hmm. uh i shot those last year I actually switched over when that uh, I was shooting Rage before that, and I had trouble with them not opening it up. Mm-hmm. And I switched to the to the kill zones, and I mean I like them. Yeah. Uh, I mean the blood trail's good. I don't have trouble with them not opening up. Uh, they're accurate. But uh, I, I've been thinking about going to uh, to the fixed blade. Yeah. The actually the the ones that you had gave me last year. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been, been thinking about switching over those. Yeah, I remember I gave you those those drones because last year I, I didn't need them because I was I was shooting um, the Simmons. Uh, I think it was the tree sharks. Uh, it's either the tree sharks or the tiger sharks. I can't remember which one it is. The, the Simmons brought his uh, traditional traditional uh, yeah. head, uh, 175 grain, and, and my arrows tuned really well with them. So um, I, I didn't need my fixed blades last year, so I gave them to you. Because <clears throat> otherwise they just sit and rust. Um, yeah, they're, they're actually still sitting in my uh, 
sitting in my bouquets, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about switching next year. Yeah, uh, give it a try, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I've been, I've been on my edge of switching. Yeah, I see. I'm. I've talked about this before. I'm. I'm different. I'm a speed guy. I like speed. I like. I like for my arrow to be able to get there as soon as it possibly can, so that the deer can't move. Because if you, you know, people like to talk about penetration, and I'm not gonna, you know, ever say that penetration isn't important, but you can't penetrate what you didn't hit. Okay. Your arrow has to get there first. You know, deer have incredible reaction times. Things happen. You know, you might shoot a little high and the deer drops three inches and now you're in no man's land or now you're scraping the back, you know. Um, And for me, uh, I like speed. Well, the problem with speed is you give up mass. You give up momentum and you also give up, you know, your arrow weight. Uh, And I was having trouble with mechanicals with my arrow setup and I shoot 70 pounds, 183, 185, sorry, 383 or 385 grain air. Yeah. Uh, my bow is also about to blow up. Um, if I'm shooting in that light. Um, but anyway, um, I was having penetration problems with mechanicals. And, uh, so I went to fixed blades because I wasn't robbing any of my momentum. And you notice I never said anything about kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is an, is a, um, a, a snapshot of how much impact power, essentially, your arrow has right at its release. Okay. The further mm-hmm. down the line that arrow goes, the more it drops, drops, drops. And um, kinetic energy is the difference between, you know, punching something hard and momentum is what helps you punch through it. Right. Okay. It's the follow through. And so kinetic energy, people put a lot of emphasis on that because it, you know, it's a lot of times it's a big number, right? It's like 75 Mm -hmm. or 80 uh, uh, pounds. And, um, but it doesn't actually translate like kinetic energy is not a teller of, of penetration. It doesn't predict it because, you know, it's like, what's the difference when getting hit with a pound of lead or a pound of feathers, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they both hit something with the same kinetic mm-hmm. energy, but that slug of the momentum is what makes the difference. So, right. um, that's, that's why the kinetic energy never really matters that much. It's the momentum that matters. And then the momentum number is so unimpressive because it's usually like 1.3 or 1.7 slugs. And then you got people like, well, what's a slug? Uh, you know, you know, it's a, it's a physics terminology that just doesn't sound very impressive. And so, um, uh, anyway, and then you also have to go pretty far down the decibel point line, you know, to 10,000 sometimes to get a, a noticeable difference between two momentum equations. But anyway, uh, for me, I went to the fixed place because I needed to zip through something and not, not give up any energy. You know, yeah. um, and and it's been working extremely well for me ever since. So, um, you know, I love to see people switch over, and I, you know, there's another reason. I also like to see people start to make their own decisions based off of experience rather than just following hype. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's the real driver behind it. I like it when somebody says, "Okay, if I covered up five broadhead brand names, and I'm just looking at features or." performance or strength or whatever what am i going to choose and um you know it's kind of it's kind of like those old like coca-cola pepsi 
you know, blind taste tests where like people yeah. are pip- people are picking Pepsi and they're like, uh, uh, that's not what I meant. Yeah. I that's gross. Actually, I don't. You know, people are kind of disappointed they're picking Pepsi, and it's like, no, you liked it. You know, yeah, <laughs> you picked it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but uh, you know, yeah, shoot, shoot those, man. Try them out. I think you'd be impressed as uh, um, you know, how much penetration you get and. Um, and how, how, you know, how good the blood trails are when you get two smaller size holes on yeah. either side of that deer, you know? So, yeah. um, but, uh, well, look, man, let's, let's kind of wrap it up here. Any, anything that you learned this season that you're going to make sure to, uh, you know, take, take with you next season or anything you're going to try different next season? I, I say, I, I'd like, I, I'm hoping that there's water next year, like there was this year, but at the same time, it just, it doesn't help for the ducks, so I can't say that. Yeah, that's it true. Spreads the ducks out so much. Uh, mainly just getting away from people, man. Especially hunting public, man. You know, I mean yeah. that that one spot that I had found is just I, I think it's so good just because the deer get pushed there. You know, mm-hmm. I think they just people you know pile up in this one area, and the deer. I mean, naturally they're going to move further away. I mean, if they keep you know if people hunt there every day, which is I mean, every time I had went there for a rifle, they had, you know, two or three boats there. So yeah. I went, I mean, far. I mean, <laughs> very far. I mean, it, by the time I had got done setting up the first time, I think it was 7.45, 8 o'clock. I mean, it just took way longer than I thought it was going to take to get there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think the deer just got pushed there, you know? I mean, it's just from people coming in at all hours of the day. They're just, you know, walking around in the water bumping deer up and the deer just kept pushing back and back and back and it uh mainly i'm gonna try to i'll try to you know keep hunting where the deer get pushed to especially Mm -hmm. during uh especially during rifle season i mean it's just it's hard to get away from people but if you can get to where the deer are gonna get pushed to uh you definitely have uh better success you know yeah I mean, you just see more deer i mean that's i i, I can't stress it no i just i saw a ton of deer this year just getting you know where the deer get pushed to yeah. not where you think the deer are going to be versus where the deer are pushed to and you're and you're taking you're taking boat your boat to get there so you're actually going in by boat twice taking your boat a long yeah. ways and yeah. then you're going in by piro too yeah it, it takes a while it's about a probably a 30 40 minute run in my boat and then another 30, 40 minutes in my P-Rogue, and then I walk. God bless. I don't know, about a half a mile. Oh, it takes a while. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a simple afternoon trip. You get off of work early, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go on that spot. No, mm-hmm. you know, you, it, it takes a while. So yeah. It's an all-day thing for sure. I normally, I normally try to stay all day whenever I do go, just yeah. because it's so far back there. You know, I'll bring ham sandwiches and something to drink and stuff like that. Did I did I ever tell you about that story about uh about me and Nick? We had walked about a I don't know it was about a mile and a half. We had walked way back there. Uh uh-uh. we, we had scouted this this piece on uh on on the phones and we were like, man, we need to go check this out, you know, blah blah blah. And uh, so we take off on a Monday afternoon, not thinking it would take us that long to get back there. And uh, there was a leash not far from the from the spot we had picked out. They had like a it was two sloughs that it came together and we had looked at it on, on a topo map. We figured that spot would be 
would be, you know, one of us was going to hunt right there. And then another was an, an, the other person was going to move further down. They had a trans, a transition line on the side of a cutover. So one was going to get there and one was going to get on the point. I had got off early that Monday and we take off and not thinking it was going to take forever to get back there. It, it ended up taking us, I mean, forever. It was like a mile and a half walk. I mean, through water, you walked, you walked in about, thigh deep water halfway there and then just it finally came up on land and then we walked back you know finally got back there it was it was late i mean we probably got back there at 3 45 mm-hmm. by the time we had started setting up and uh i didn't realize how close i was to that lease and uh i mean i i, I wasn't on the lease or anything i was probably two or three hundred yards away from the lease well i finally got set up you know, right around four o'clock, I texted Ben, said I'm set up, and then Nick texted me, I'm set up. So, four four o five, I I hear the feeder, I feel I hear the feeder from the lease going off. <laughs> it kicks off, and I I'm kind of laughing in the sand. I'm like, well, I didn't I didn't realize I got that close, you know. And uh, I text Ben, and I said dinner bell just went off. So, right after I texted Ben. I mean, I'm talking. The text might have not even gone through yet because I didn't even I didn't have much service back there. I look over, and I see a deer coming through the woods. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, all right, well, <laughs> that was quick, you know. She heard the she heard the dinner bell. She's coming through the woods, and uh, I stood up and I grabbed my bow. And when I turned back around, there's six of them. There's six things coming through the woods, and I'm like, where did where did all y'all come from? You know, that's a that's a where y'all so. They uh, they came up exactly how I thought they were gonna come up, but you know they followed that slough all the way down to where it wide off, and then they crossed the slough, and came right up. I mean, 20, 30 yards. So I drew back, I shot the biggest one. She takes off, and I was I was kind of nervous about the shot. I had hit her kind of high. Oh, uh, well, I thought I hit her kind of high. So I call Nick, and tell him I'm like, look, I'm gonna give it a little bit, and then I'll get down. I'll go check it out. Well, after I called Nick, I called Ben, let him know whatever. And he's like, <laughs> so wait, the the feeder goes off. You text me. And then five minutes later, the deer comes out. I'm like, yep, that's, I guess. <laughs> I said, I guess they were going, they were going to, uh, to the feeder. So I get down. Uh, I hadn't got a pass. through. That's that's really what I was worried about. I, I didn't get a pass through on it. And it was that close. I was like, man. Might have hit a little bit higher than I wanted to. So anyway, I ended up checking the the blood, and I had I had some bubbles in the blood, so I was like, well, I definitely caught one lung. So I call Nick, and I'm I'm uh I'm tracking the deer. I, I tracked probably I don't know 20, 30 yards, and I said, look, I'm gonna go back and start packing my stuff up. But when I turn around and start walking back to my stand. <laughs> Two deer run up. I'm talking 10, 15 yards. They run up and they stacked right in front of me. And I'm, I got my bow. Oh my God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I just shot, you know, 30 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I just shot. And I'm on the phone with Nick telling him that I'm going back to my stand to pack up and everything. And uh, he says, he says, well, scare him to me. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I kind of just, you know, I just kept walking and they took off. When you know they ran, he was about 200 yards away. They ran on a string 
straight to his tree. <laughs> <laughs> he stops the word on him underneath his tree. I hear the, I mean, I, I was still on the phone. I hear, him, oh, they, they, yeah, they're right here. They're right here. They're so he throws his phone in his pocket. And then I hear the shot. And then he gets back on the phone. Hey, I, I just shot. She, he's, I hit her in the neck. She's dead right here. Right underneath this tree. I mean, oh they went God. on the string right to his tree. And I'm like, well, we got a, we got a long night ahead of us. Yeah. So, uh, let's go ahead and start packing up. I mean, we didn't get out of there. I think we got back to the land and it was 1130. Oh, God. We ended up, uh, we brought, we went all the way back to the boat, drop our stands and stuff off, and then grabbed the cart <laughs> and came all the way back. Picked up both the deer and went walk all the way back mm. to the boat. Wow, that's yeah. crazy, man. So, yeah. so it was a it, it was it was funny with the with the feeder and stuff. You know, I I just I just we had just kind of started wandering off back there, and I didn't realize I was that close. Jeez. And uh, <laughs> that's funny. So I mean, the deer were so just were going. just to make absolutely certain you were you were hunting over bait on public land. <laughs> And and you uh, tied a deer to the tree for Nick. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, it was uh, it was crazy. That's it, awesome. It, it was man. funny for sure. That's I a good know. story. You you can't make stuff like that up. I mean, it just it the way it happened was like, are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. When when I called Ben and told him, he was like, "There's no way," you know, because Ben was actually he was hunting a little bit before that, and he's the one that had told us, "Look, y'all need to go further back." So y'all don't start messing me up. Y'all need to go further back and find your own spot. That's funny. That's a good story, man. I like that. Well, uh, all right, man. You got you got another two weeks left. Keep uh, keep hammering it out. You gonna stick with it or are you done? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Ben's already fishing, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not ready to stop yet. So yeah, I'm actually yeah. fixing to go get all my stuff ready for tomorrow morning. You have one day over fifty degrees, and Ben puts the bass in. Yeah, huh? <laughs> he went this morning. He went fishing this morning. He's uh, he's done with it. I think That's he awesome. might have one more hunt, but I think he's uh, <laughs> he's ready to bass fish. Yeah. All right, man. Well, look. Hey, I appreciate you joining joining us, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. I appreciate you being on. Let's catch up soon. All right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right, man. See ya. All right, guys, uh, joining us now is Levi Madden out of Menden, Louisiana, kind of uh, central north Louisiana, north central Louisiana. Um, thanks for joining us today, uh, Levi. Uh, no problem. I'm really excited to get to do this. I've listened to the podcast just about every week, so it's kind of fun to get on here and talk about hunting. So Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to do this, man, even though it's going to be a short episode for us, you know. Um, yeah. Sure. So, uh, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your season this year. You know, um, h- how it compares to other seasons, and uh, some of your hard lessons learned and 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 good memories made. Um. Well, I actually had a a really good year. Uh, I killed fourteen this year, uh, three bucks, and the rest were does. Uh, of course, that sounds illegal but we're on a dmap property so yeah we get a lot of a certain amount of doe tags every year so uh um i killed a four-year-old a five-year-old and a seven and a half year old wow if anybody cares about that so yeah some people some people don't care about that but uh 
anyways uh we actually had a really good hunt me and my buddy joe gallette who lives in monroe uh came over it happened to line up really good with the weather we got a really good cold front that pushed in friday friday afternoon late friday afternoon mm-hmm. and uh we got set up hunting on a actually a bio that runs through the middle of our property and he was on the north side of it and i was on the south side of it and both of us connected with one he shot a four and a half year old eight point and i killed that five and a half year old ten point i killed the same morning so it was a lot of luck involved but you know that's how it goes sometimes now now when was that um oh gosh power i can't remember i'm gonna say december the 8th or the 10th or something like that i can't really remember the date gotcha early december kind of right before our rut starts so yeah that's what i was what i was going to ask was when kind of when y'all's rut rut is and if you think it was pre or in the middle of or post that you know i'm gonna say it was right before or the very early stages of it normally the best week hunting wise for the rut on our place is normally the second week in december to the third week in december mm-hmm. is normally when it kicks off and i'm a big believer in the weather so you know it depends on the weather too you know if, yeah. it, if you get a good cold front comes in you're you're gonna see a lot of rutting activity on our property yeah so, absolutely yep now you're hunting um private land over there did you do yep. any public land hunting this year no, I've never got into the public land hunting. I know there's a lot of public land guys that listen to this podcast. I'm, I got it easy compared to you guys. I <laughs> tip my hat to everybody that does that. Well, um, I was kind. I of... would like to eventually get into it. Mm-hmm. I just I like the challenge of it. Obviously, I bow hunt, so. Uh, but I would be very interested in getting into it within the next couple of years. Yeah, just for the challenge of it. So. You know, I was I was kind of surprised, um, I, and I'm not going to say that this data is rock solid because it was a small, relatively small sample size. But we had um, mm-hmm. on Instagram in our story, uh, you're you're able to put up questions and polls and stuff, and and so um, I put up one said, hey, "Hey, what do you hunt, pi- private or public?" And um, it was 33 percent public, 66 percent private. And, um, I actually thought it would be more of a 50, 50. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's, uh, it was, it was heavily weighted on the, the private side of things. So that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, that is. I I figured it would, uh, me, honestly, I would have figured it would lean more heavily to the public side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so what, what deer was it that you killed, um, uh, what age deer was it that you killed a couple weeks ago that had the real super tall skinny rack? That was that was the seven and a half year old deer. We're pretty sure. Uh, just looking at the jawbone, I think that's what he was. We actually seen his front teeth on. You know how they do the mm-hmm. to manuli? I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but they send it off and basically cut the teeth in half and put it under a microscope. And they say it's basically like aging a tree. Mm-hmm. So we did send it off to get confirmation on it, but tooth wear, I think he was seven and a half. Very cool. So, so yeah. did did you did you put a tape on that deer at all? No, I never measured him. Nope. Uh, we're actually, I, I was actually just I was going to skull mount him, and uh, I didn't 
didn't cut the cape off of him. And my dad, he wasn't over there at the camp at the time. And uh, he called me. He's like, did you cape that deer out? And I was like, no. And he, he was kind of mad about it. I was like, well, I'm not even putting him in the camp. And I was like, yeah, I should have thought about that. Yeah. So, so th- that was a super unique deer because he was super tall, super skinny. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you had to guess, what do you think his inside uh, beam to beam was? Oh gosh, oh, ten inches, eleven inches, maybe. Just guessing. Yeah, something like that. It wasn't very big at all. I mean, he. I'm trying to think of something that was that you know, kind of that shape. He, he. I mean, he looked like he had like, like almost like a like a, a lamp on top of his head or something. I mean, it was real, <laughs> real tall and and real narrow. Like he he. He, he not only was he not outside the ears he was barely outside the eyes you know <laughs> yeah on his rack yeah. it was really crazy looking deer man um yeah they don't come like that too often especially consecutive years like that he's he's looked like that for sure the past three years hmm. and just never really changed and you know i'm i'm not really hung up on necessarily killing the boot obviously i'm a deer hunter. i would like to shoot a 150 inch deer but you know shooting an older deer means more to me than antler size any day of the week so. yeah absolutely well so. um did you try anything new this year uh or do anything that you're going to keep kind of keep uh keep putting to use not really um i got kind of a really kind of a set system that i've been doing the past couple of years i gotta i normally go out and i actually probably go in two weekends and go walk our whole property you know i'll spend probably walk by gps probably you know around 15 miles or something like that mm-hmm. on a weekend and just kind of walk and look and look for trails and stuff like that and i normally apply that back in the fall because i've always heard a lot of people say well, you know you can you can go scout after the season but it doesn't do you any good because well, we're in a unique area there, so our rut, I mean, I've actually have trail cam pictures and phones, and I did the 208 days back, and we've had those bred at the end of February over there. Yeah. So, I mean, you can really still see a lot of the rutting sign over there. It really, really helps me out the following year, and, and for the most part, I stay out of my really good spots until pre-rut, and... As long as you stay out of there, man. I mean, people know that hunt private land. If you stay out of there, the deer are going to come in there and they're going to use it the same every year, pretty much. Yeah. Now, a particular deer, a particular buck might not use it the same, but they will be in the area. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Well, um, man, anything else that you want to want to add or talk about before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just kind of depressed deer season there with so, <laughs> yeah that's about it well you can always but, travel a couple hours south and go hit up some area six area public land we we actually can hunt through we're on a tier one d map on our property so as long as we let the like the game wardens and stuff know we can actually hunt through february the 15th on our property oh, wow. so okay i'll I'll probably be able to make another trip over next weekend. We had some stuff to do this weekend, so I couldn't go. Cool. But, uh, so. Well, you gonna you gonna make it down for the uh, 3D challenge on March 9th? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I had awesome. a blast last year. Awesome. I man. just kind of got into the 3D shooting about two years ago and I got noticeably better as the year went along. So yeah. um, I'll be happy to get down there and shoot it. Makes you a better hunter too. You it know? does. Yeah. It's, it's way better than shooting in your backyard. That's for sure. And keep staying well practiced after the season with 3D tournaments and stuff. It's uh, it's a great way to to prepare you for next season. You know, absolutely. Um, getting into the three D tournaments too. You know, one thing you kind of teach yourself, and a lot of the big time three D shooters know this already. That by using hinge releases and stuff, you know, yeah, getting your in your rhythm. You know, your shot is an absolute surprise every time. And I have, I have, I I'm not a pure back tension guy, but anybody that's really interested want to kind of refine their shooting look into that because it will make you a phenomenal shot with a bow yeah if you apply yourself with it absolutely yeah i've uh i've never gotten into that i've i've actually been shooting the same release that i bought i don't know seven or eight years ago um Mm -hmm. and uh i've tried the back tensions i've hit myself in the mouth twice uh, trying to learn how to shoot them and um yep. you know I, I i can do pretty well with it you know shooting <laughs> shooting uh 3d or shooting paper targets indoors but um me personally oh god I, mm-hmm. like the thought of using one to shoot a deer is terrifying i i do not i do not hunt with one i have i have a I hunt with a thumb button yeah i do practice all summer with a um with a tension release and i don't use a hinge but i use like a it's a carter tension release yeah so. yeah yeah well yeah. uh well cool man let's um let's wrap it up I, I you know i appreciate you being on the on the show today um and especially for the last episode kind of wrapping the season down and uh you know i look forward to seeing you at the tournament on march 9th and i appreciate your time again man absolutely thank you kyle i appreciate it thanks levi talk to you soon all right bye all right all right, guys, last up uh, in today's episode, we've got Travis Links on the phone from St. Francisville. Travis, thanks for joining us on this week's episode. Not a problem, man. I'm excited to be doing another podcast. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. Um, so, you know, you and I have spoken a little bit about how your season's been, and, and you've been sending me some pictures and giving me some updates every once in a while. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was because some of our other people, you know, they killed three, four, five. Some people have even killed, tagged out on all six of their deer in state. Um, and uh, you're still you're still after uh, after your, one of your target bucks right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of you know I, I set the early season a- after one deer, and I really my goal for the season was really I wanted my dad to kill this deer. So I really didn't hunt him hard at all early season. I've been having my dad come to my house, and it's always great. He comes play with the kids and stuff, and he's able to hunt morning and evening, and then he comes back, the kids are awake, he's there for breakfast. And it's just been great to have him here hunting that deer nonstop. He just hasn't been able to connect on the deer. Um, so, you know, I really wanted him to kill the deer this year, but once he kind of slowed down and was getting burned out a little bit in the early season, I really got after it and started hunting him hard. I uh, just haven't been able to connect on them yet. I have had encounters with a couple of good deer. Um, I saw I had one uh, deer about 135 inches, about 19 yards, but I thought he was four, four so I let him walk. Um, really pretty deer. 
I uh, just thought he really needed another year. And the crazy thing is I'm hunting 25 acres, and that's the first time I had ever seen this deer. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had never seen this deer in person, so I had no idea if I would ever see this deer again in the future. And I haven't seen him again, but I still think it was good to let him walk because I know he's going to be a good deer next year. Yeah. Um, I had two encounters with the deer that I'm trying to kill um, both times. Um, one time was through a thicket. He was about 45 yards away, couldn't get a shot on him at all. Um, and one time he was probably 100 yards away from me, and I just watched him. Um, got a little bit of footage, a video of him um, both times. I uh, just wasn't able to seal the deal. Um, but that's bow hunting. And it was both during rifle season. You know, I could have killed the deer both times. Um, but. I just wanted to get him with my bow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, now your your property is twenty five acres, but um, if you count all the woods around you and maybe some stuff connected to you, how big of a piece of property do these deer have to uh, to uh, range? To on? roam around, they've probably got three hundred acres okay. to roam around. But it's you know they they have little fingers and stuff that they can cross over and get to bigger pieces of woods but mm-hmm. i think the home base deer are basically kind of free ranging on this 300 acre tract um and it's a you know i got a good bit of deer that pass through at my house i've got game camera pictures with eight deer actually nine deer over eight points in one picture wow. um just a whole bunch of deer but i'm feeding year round i'm planting food plots year round Basically, if I'm not in a deer stand hunting, I'm getting ready to hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've got. Um, do you still have that big uh, gravity feeder out in the middle of the food plot behind your your barn do, back there? I do. I do. That's so. That's where I saw the deer that I had at 19 yards. Uh, had him right there. And then one time I was hunting, probably 100 yards in the wood in the woods, when I saw the big deer in the thicket and couldn't get a shot at him. Um, <clears throat> and the other time I was kind of in the front of my property and saw him um, when he was farther off in the distance. Gotcha. Now, one of the questions I've always kind of wondered is when you have that many deer or that many um, impressive deer or uh, mature deer on a small piece of property, do you feel just outrageously self-conscious trying to sneak into a stand like like they might be watching you at any point or you might be pushing them out? Absolutely. So, yeah, that's one thing AJ and I really talked about last year. I think walking in and out of the stand was a big issue last year for me. So this year I let my entire back of my property grow up and I just cut lanes that I could walk to stands with different winds. Ah, okay. so, I would be more, so I would be more concealed. And, you know, that that was big on AJ's part and kind of helping me design and lay that out and the idea to even do it. And I think it really paid off this year. I saw way more deer this year than I saw last year. Mm-hmm. Although last year, you know, I obviously killed a really good deer. I saw way more deer this year uh, than I did last year. Now, and, and you said I've got a bunch of impressive mature deer at my house. I really don't. I've got one deer this year that I would shoot. Gotcha. Um, you know, that's the only one. Last year, I had several shooters that I was after. This year, I've got one deer until the last week. So, Two weekends ago, I had another deer that's an eight point, probably 150 inches that showed up. Yeah, and I want I want to kill this deer more than I've probably <laughs> almost ever wanted to kill a deer. It's my dream to kill a mainframe eight, and he is big. Yeah. He's impressive. Yeah, he's, you know, huge. he's really tall, really wide. He's just got everything for an eight point that you can dream of. You, just, is he still around? He is. So he, I thought he was just going to be chasing a doe. Um, so he hung around for. He he was there every morning. About 10 minutes before daylight at this same 
feeder on my property chasing the same doe. I call her the floppy ear doe. She's mm-hmm. my nemesis. I've, I've talked to several <laughs> other people about her. You know, this is the, uh, every time she comes out, she pegs me. Well, this deer just so happens to be chasing this doe. It uh. frustrates me even more because she's so savvy, and then I know he's obviously a mature deer, so he's not going to be easy to get on either. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... I thought he was just going to be on her, and then, you know, five days passed by, and I think she would have been out of estrus by then, and he hung around for several more days, and now my neighbor just sent me a picture of him yesterday. So he's he's still here in the area. I thought he probably came to my property when the river got up, um, but I think he's hanging around, and, and yeah. he's been hitting the food plots. He's been hitting the feeders, so hopefully with it being hard times right now with the winter – being late he's found some food and he's gonna get comfortable and hang in yeah maybe he'll be one of your new residents yeah you know he'll keep you up at night but it was completely weird man i mean uh, definitely a five plus year old deer comes out of nowhere i had never seen this deer before um and obviously chasing so they can come from a pretty far distance away but just odd that i had never even seen this deer yeah because I, I mean i run five game cameras on 25 acres at all times and just never had a glimpse of this deer. You never know where they're going to come from. You know, it, remi- that's right. it reminds me of... And that's what keeps it fun. That's yeah, what yeah. keeps it fun, man. It reminds me of Betsy Dutrois. Uh, I think, I want to say she was episode four. And she did the uh, the Tinsaw deer deer uh, tracking program a couple years back. Yeah. And yeah. they had a deer that uh, spent, you know, 90% of the year in the, um, the uh, restricted area. And then once a year, it would make a, a 12 mile journey to another piece of property, like across the river and everything. Yep. And, and then we would come back like a month later, it'd come back. And so, um, you know, you never know where your deer are coming from and, and, you know, I'm, right. I'm sure some of the deer That's that right. have been living on your property are being picked up on somebody else's property right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. Two you years know? ago, I had a deer that I had called top curl, um, had pictures of him nonstop, really wanted to kill this deer. He was a really, really pretty nine point, but he had one G2 that was probably 15 inches long and it went up and it came straight down like a hook. Mm. So I called him top girl and I hunted this deer hard and he got killed 5.1 miles away from my house. Wow. And I had pictures of that deer for two years, let him walk one year, really wanted to kill him one year. And he had never really ventured off and then just ventured off and got killed. Mm-hmm. See what happens? Yep, that's what yep. happens when you run yep. off. But I, I still have two weeks left, man. I'm still going to get after it pretty hard. You know, I haven't been hunting quite as hard because it's kind of post-rut right now. Things have really kind of been slow. Mm-hmm. You're getting back on the food a little bit now. Um, but at one point, I had hunted at least one hunt for 24 straight days. That's and wild. You know, the wife wasn't extremely excited about it. <laughs> well, yeah. How don't y'all? How old is your your newborn now? Like two months, three months? He's he's three and a half months old. Yeah, he's three and a half months old. So she was really good to me, man. Letting me get out there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But but again, I haven't killed my big deer, man. But I really think it's been a really successful season. I've I have learned a lot. I got to spend a lot of time with my dad. You know, my best friend's dad killed the biggest deer he's ever killed in his life. Nice hammer, and I've been getting after it with my new dog. I've tracked eleven deer. Oh, well, nice man! I didn't know so that. It's it's been fun. Yeah, you, you're German short hair, right? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. He's doing well. 
he's doing great, man. He's That's doing great. really good. That's really great. Well, um, yes, it seems, I don't know, maybe I'm just picking up on it or if, or if it really is getting that popular, but it seems like a lot of people I know are really getting into the blood trailing thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, it just, it sounds like a blast, you know, my biggest thing, man. So the Matt Flynn, the the old quarterback for LSU shot a deer a couple of years ago and I went out there and I was helping him trail it and he, uh, had a dog come out there and we never found the deer we're just watching the dog's work was cool and what i started reading into and getting into is on my property if i shoot a deer i need to go directly to it i can't go stomping around in the woods because i'm going to bump deer off my property because it's so small Mm -hmm. so the reason i got a dog is because i want to send him in with the gps take the shortest route possible to get to that deer and get out of there yeah without boogering up all the woods in the world so that's really why i got it i'm not advertising that i have a dog or anything i'm really just tracking for friends and people that yeah, yeah know yeah. me that that are killing deer i really got it as a tool to better my success on hunting a very small piece of property that's that's interesting that uh you know your theory or your intention is to use a dog to be less invasive Right. Right. Mostly, most of the time, you know, deer hunters think of dogs as being, you know, a a major disruption. Right. Um, Right. But I guess your theory is, is you stomping around for hours without a dog is more of a disruption. Right. Where you you are. Yeah, it's really interesting. Exactly. And, And using the GPS, you know, being able to let him go directly into the woods, a deer might go run a circle, come back and you're stomping that whole distance, that whole distance. Yeah. Whereas. If I could put it on and see exactly where the dog is at on the deer, I can take the shortest route into the woods and get to that deer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, if I, or you know, I have, I know, so the big deer that I'm after, I know exactly where this deer is better at. I can avoid that at all costs. Mm-hmm. I just can't go get to him because he's literally bedded about 75 yards onto my neighbor's property. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's I hope hard. you're not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Travis Links uh, lives in St. Francisville, Mississippi, <laughs> uh, not Louisiana. So we'll see if we can get him off your trail. But um, yeah, man, I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting idea. I knew you had you had gotten the GSP, and I've had a couple of them in my life. My my mom actually has a wire hair right now, and um, they're so such driven dogs. Um, oh, absolutely! And I think the first thing I ever, I think the first thing I told you uh, after you picked him up was I was like, "Man, you have the perfect property for that dog. You that dog yep. can run and run and get tired and stand up and run some more." And uh, I mean, that was our problem with him is like they would run tracks in the backyard because they just needed acres and we only had yards, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they're they're great dogs, man. I know you're gonna gonna love him, so. Um, well, uh, look, you know, anything else that you maybe want to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, man, you know, still got two weeks left. I really think some scrapes just started popping back up again. I really think this will be the first year that we get into the secondary rut. I really like to use my cameras to see when, uh, fawns drop in the spring. Mm -hmm. And I calculate the rut based off of that, uh, just because of the gestation period of a doe's 201 days. So I kind of calculate exactly when the rut and the secondary rut is. So the secondary rut should be kicking off here uh, around my house in St. Francisville, right around the 8th of this month, February 8th, which is crazy late. Most people are already closed, but I think we're going to get a little glimpse of it this year. So 
hopefully I can connect on them, man. Yeah, I hope you do too, man. And that, that actually reminds me of something that I've been meaning to bring up and I should probably make a post about it. And once it becomes official, I will, but, um, you know, I, this is the last episode of the year and the season's already closed. Otherwise I probably wouldn't say this cause I really don't like to bring attention to specific pieces of public land. Um, mm-hmm. I just, that's not what I want to do. Um, and, uh, but I will say this, there is a problem with the regulation among many, but there's one major one that's always really bothered me. And that's the fact that Tunica Hills closes on January 31st and it's in area six. And that bothers yeah, me. That's, it's in, crazy. You're missing the whole, first of all, you missed the, the last part of the first rut and you missed the whole second rut. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, um, I have been in contact with um, Jonathan Bordelon and some other people at Wildlife and Fisheries. Um, we talked at the Sportsman Show last year. I brought it up to him, and he looked at me, kind of cocked his head. He was like, wait, it doesn't match the area season? And I said, no, sir, it doesn't. And he said, why is that? And we looked it up, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Tunica Hills used to be in Area 4. And I could be wrong. Yeah, my house was in Area Four last year, so this is the first year I've been able to hunt the secondary rut at my house. So I think I think it um, it used to be in Area Four, and when they uh, shifted Area Six, they didn't change the date for the WMA. They left it at uh, January thirty first as the last day, and um, and so we're working with wildlife and fisheries right now. They just sent out the the proposed. Um, regulation changes for 2019 and 2020, and I didn't see it on there. So I sent Jonathan Bordelon another email, and I said, hey, you said that this wasn't going to be a problem to change. I don't see it. And he said, man, I totally forgot about it. I'll get it fixed. And so he's working on it right now. So just so everybody knows, we are working on having that regulation change to where you can hunt Tunica Hills and any area in Area 6 that um, will match those dates to go to February 15th because I know you're not too far from Tunica and, and I'm, I've hunted Tunica heavily. Uh, these right now, the today, these are the best days. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so this past week I had a lot of chasing on camera, man. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it's so frustrating when you have technically what could be the hottest couple of weeks of the season and it's closed. Right. So um, we're working on getting that open and matched to the February 15th uh, end of the season. Um, And so uh, I'll let you know if that happens. But that's going to be a big deal if we can get that pulled off, especially for next year. You know. Yep. So, um, well, uh, look, man, I I hope you have a great last two weeks of the season. I hope you connect with your uh, your big eight or one of your other target bucks. Um, And I remember talking to you a week or two ago. And, um, I don't remember our exact conversation, but you said, you know, this season has been a success strictly because rifle season is now closed and all of my bucks are still alive and on my property. That's right. That's right. You know, as soon as, as soon as rifle season closes, I I throw a little party in my head excited (laughs) because all the deer that are alive are probably still going to be alive. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, you know, like you said earlier, this is why I'm glad that you're the last podcast of the night is because, you know, um, it is about the memories made and your family and your dad and your uncle and trying to get your friends on deer, trying to get other people on big deer and, um, you know, it isn't, it isn't always about what's the biggest deer I can kill, you know? Um, and so, yep. 
you know, there's other big things to, uh, to be focusing on right now and as successes. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I, I agree with you. I think it has been a great season. I think, um, a lot of people had a great season and some people learned a lot of lessons that they'll, uh, they'll use next year to make them a better hunter, you know? Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this podcast has helped out some people. Um, and we've had some good, some great conversations with people back and forth throughout the, I mean, this is our, I mean, I honestly, I think it's our 27th or 28th episode. That's, I mean, that's 28 weeks in a row we've done this, which is. And they've been great, man. I've listened to them and I have learned a ton just from listening to other people talk about their tactics and what they're thinking when they're going in the woods, different strategies. I think they've all been great. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And it's, you know, it's fun to put on. Um, you know, I've had some people, I've had some people when I tell them I'm, I'm shutting it down, they're, they're a little, you know, why don't you keep it going? And, and my, my thought is I'd rather shut it down when we're on top and when the content's relevant and when people are still hunting and when, um, you know, like let's shut it down when we're still, I guess you could say rocking and rolling because yeah. I don't want it to become February and March and April, and then we're scrounging for relevant topics, and then listenership drops because it's out of season right. and people are bass you don't fishing. Want, you don't want all the listeners to become like my wife and get completely burned out on this. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we're going to crank it up before the season next year um, and uh, just get it back in full swing. I'll probably, um, you know, I'll probably crank it up sometime in September, a couple weeks before the season. Um, yeah. You know, last, this this year we cranked it up. I want to say August first, July thirtieth was our first episode, um, and we've been. I mean, we've been doing one of these one per week for twenty seven, twenty eight weeks now. You know, um, it takes between between the recording and the editing and the upload and 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 all that stuff. I probably spend four or five hours a week on this. Um, and I don't mean that as a complaint at all. Um, but I will say next year, I'm probably going to be a little more deliberate with topics. Um, yeah. and, and try and have them if possible, a little pre recorded, but still stay current and relevant and, um, you know, up with the times of the season and things like that. Um, so, uh, have fewer episodes, maybe more structured episodes i've gotten some great feedback from people i've got some people that tell me they love it they wouldn't change anything uh and then i don't believe them (laughs) 100 percent (laughs) because i always think there's room for improvement and then my favorite look my favorite ones i got an email today okay no shit i got an email today anonymous no i tried to reply back like legitimately reply back and say Hey, I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. And, and their email was declined and it's, <laughs> and it said, no kidding. And I'm going to work on this. All right. Cause I, I look, I take this stuff to heart. It said for every two minutes, the guest speaks, the host speaks for six, shut up and let you let your guests talk, <laughs> <laughs> shut up and let your guests talk. Um, harsh. Yes, but you need to hear it or something like that. And I was like, look, man, I've been in sales a long time. It's real hard to offend me and hurt my feelings. I promise you. Right. All right. In fact, my favorite, one of my favorite 
sales calls I've ever been on ever. I handed a guy a business card and he goes, you better give me two. And I said, Oh, do you have another one to uh, another person to give us to? He goes, no one to shit on one to cover it up with. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, that's savage. That is awesome. Right. And so, I mean, cause look, I hate a salesman too, but, um, anyway, uh, you can't offend me. And so like, yeah, stings a little, you know, sharp knife cut deep. Um, but I listen to the feedback and I try to, um, I really try to take it into consideration. Um, and, uh, next year I'm going to do a better job on being a little more balanced. And, uh, and, and the other thing, the other thing I really want to work on is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guests that I've had this year, um, either in person or on the phone, I haven't been able to, uh, you could say, utilize them to their fullest potential. Okay. Maybe the topic that I talk with them on isn't one that they're the most versed in. All right. And, and so what I'm going to do is, um, you know, I'm going to make a list of people I want to talk to you next year. And then I'm just going to ask them, Hey, I'd like to have you on the podcast. What do you think are the top two or three topics that you would uh, like to discuss or you're most knowledgeable about? you know, um, and, uh, and so then, you know, kind of put it out for, for bid almost of, um, Hey, if you want to talk about, you know, what oak trees to hunt or what type of year, let's do it. If you want to talk about hunting out of ground blinds, let's do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, uh, cause, cause what I've, what I've done is I, I technically steer people in a direction or a topic. Right. Um, and, I might be 80% on point or on target with what they're most knowledgeable in, but there's that other 20% I can always kind of uh, crank up a little bit if I can, if I can match people up with the right topic. So, um, but anyway, thank you for the kind words about the podcast. I really appreciate that. Um, Not a problem. Man. And look, if people are just listening to the podcast, they need to check out the Facebook page. Too. Some of the information that's been put on there about primary feed trees and about the, you know, pulling the stuff down to, to feed the deer that's still green that Harmon put on there. Some of that information is literally worth its weight in gold and you should check it out. Absolutely, man. And, and you know, what's so cool about that stuff is that that's not my idea. That's not anybody else's idea with like technically Louisiana bow hunter. We're not like, we're not driven by one guy. We're not driven by me or right. anything like that. This is, this is a place that we've built for, uh, all people to learn from others. You know, that was the whole goal of the podcast was, Hey, can I get regular Joe blow people? Every person that's on the, on this episode is, is the same type of guy you could run into on any WMA in the state at four in the morning about to walk into the woods. Okay. None of us, none of us are pro hunters. None of us are hunting, you know, uh, fenced in ranches, uh, you know, high fence with one eighties rocking around all over the place. Um, and we're all hunting the same way in different parts of the state and we're all regular people. I'm a regular old person too. I just happen to have a microphone, you know, and, um, you know, yeah, I'm the same way. I just hunt a lot. I hunt a lot. I like to talk about hunting. I like to hear about hunting. But most importantly, like I think I think I told this to um, maybe it was Glenn Peterson on a couple episodes back. I said my favorite part about doing the podcast is that I'm the person that gets to learn about all this stuff first. You know, yep. I mean, I, I'm at, I'm at on the the leading edge of all this information, and I'm taking it down. You know 
practically drooling on myself, waiting to use it tomorrow when I go into the woods, you know? So, um, anyway, it's, uh, it's been a fun season. I'm glad to end it with you. Uh, cause you were right there on the, I think you were episode, you and Frank were episode three, I believe. Four. Four. Was it three? I it don't, might have been three. I don't remember, man. That was that was a long time ago. It was ago. early on. Yeah. It, it was, was before anything was released. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It was uh it was before I really yeah, I had y'all pre recorded before we ever launched. That's right. Um so uh anyway, I appreciate you being back on, man, and, and I, I really am rooting for you to connect with one of your bucks here in the last couple of weeks. Awesome, man. I hope I do too. I appreciate you having me on, man. No Always problem. Fun. Travis, have a good night, man. Bye, bud. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. It's been a great season. We've closed it out with a bang. Y'all have got some great testimonies from people in the recaps of their season today. And I cannot wait to crank this back up in September of next year. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. Cousin Smokehouse, home of the original pork jerky. And then also for today's episode is Ray Oil Tool out of Broussard, Louisiana, who's been open since 1981 and specializes in centralizers and float equipment for the oil field. So a big thank you to the sponsors that's helped us put this on for you this season. Can't wait to see y'all at the 3D Challenge on March 9th. We've got bow hunter classes, open classes, traditional classes, long range shoots, iron buck challenge. You know, we've got a lot of great things going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. So y'all be sure to make it out to Pollock, Louisiana at Sinla Bowbenders, which is a little north of Pineville, Louisiana. We've got the address at louisianabowhunter.com under the rules and regulations. Y'all be sure to check it out there. All right, guys. Until next year, thanks for listening.